what we've got here is failure to communicate. Nine times. Mr. Brown. Mr. White. You know, for kids. Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blue. Mr. Orange. Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? I see dead people. 1.21. Their obsession. I'm going to make him an offer, Captain. No, I'm just getting warmed up. Their words. I'll ask you again. Did I urinate on your rug? I drink your milkshake. Someone else's movie. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god, not the god. Directors, screenwriters, actors, and film fanatics record feature-length audio commentaries for the films that changed their life. I want you to get up now. How come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. That's the sidetrack. Do you think you're out of tune? Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of oh, All in the name of oh, All in the name of oh. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. My name is Rockin' Randall Flagburn, and today we're here to discuss The Walk. No, not The Long Walk, (laughs) though this walk is long. We're talking about episode seven of CBS All Access's The Stand. Before we get started, baby, can you dig this panel? Mike, say hello. Learning to walk again. Hey, that's my favorite <laughs> Foo Fighters song uh, by, uh, by the band Foo that's Fighters. That's your favorite no, Foo Fighters song? No, it's not. It's not. It's just say. fitting for this episode. I do think that's a great song that concludes what should have been their last album. And even though they're still co- rocking it on and uh, having a new one. But anyway, yes, this is Michael <laughs> Marsden Rothman. If we're going to change up our, our usual go-to names, I'm going to go for it, baby. And I'm going with the man of the hour, uh, Marsden. <laughs> All right. Marsden. That's yeah. his name on the show, too. It's Marsden. Yeah. Uh, who's joining us from the great state of Nashville? And yes, I said <laughs> state on purpose. It's a bit. Ah, nice. <laughs> this is Jen to the Rage Adams. And I had a snarky nickname, but I think I'm going to I'm going to save it for later. Are you, are you excited to talk about the walk? I am. Yeah, I've got a lot of wide ranging thoughts on this episode. So I'm very yeah. excited to discuss uh, mm-hmm. Mason Mason Mac Verger. Say hello. <laughs> Hi, this is Muddy Mac Gerber. Oh, (laughs) might be uh, the laziest name yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we'll speak about some of that mud later on in this episode. But I I will say, uh, very excited to talk about uh, the walk. uh, uh, Foo Fighters, the walk. (laughs) Foo Fighters, the walk. (laughs) So when we last left off. there was a big explosion in Boulder, and we lost everyone's favorite character from the stand, Nick Andros, yeah. uh, played by Rob Lowe. 
<laughs> mini series. If only. Um, hey, hey, <laughs> hey now. Um, let's talk a little bit more about what's going on in this episode uh, in a little section we like to call The Road So Far. Hello! In this section, we talk about the general themes of the episode and also just kind of break down what happened here. So the episode begins in the aftermath of the big explosion, which was created by one Harold Lauder and Nadine Cross. Um, and it coincided with the return of Mother Abigail, who was out in the woods where she had sort of a, a little a testy tete-a-tete with uh, one Randall Flagg who blew... Um, who blew many bats at her. Was it bats? I thought it was bats or birds. Yeah, Look, like that's what I was wondering too. Or... Yeah, I couldn't, t- I, it has to be crows, right? Because that seems to be his other sort of thing that he does. Because even in yeah. this, we get to see some ravens a little bit. So Maybe it's sparrows. It could be yeah, sparrows, I was gonna say. you know, with fad or tad. <laughs> that's... So let's, uh, let's run through sort of the different arcs that we have here. Uh, fortunately, there's not as many as in previous episodes. So I guess Pretty let's start with Mother. Yeah, we'll start with Mother Abigail. Um, we, uh, with her, basically, she's back. She's awake in her uh, hospital bed. She's alive after this time out in the, in the wilderness. And she basically calls all of the crew uh, to her and she reveals she discusses how she sinned in pride which um again interesting stuff in the book uh the general concept of what it exactly was that um you know drove abigail into the woods but this is sort of the first real time she's really acknowledging that sin of pride and they just don't really engage with it too much again i think a running theme with abigail here is uh let her sort of you know give her the bare minimum and then not engage with a lot of the the a, the problematic aspects of the character, or B, the spiritual aspects of the character, at least in any kind of meaningful way. Although there's a little bit of uh, discussion about that. Yeah, this is uh, just so, uh, what a footnote to um, a nothing <laughs> character. Well, hey, she's right. not done yet. We don't see her, uh, we don't see her go here. Yeah, it's mm. just, it, it just feels like, um, you know, when like you're at functions and there's like 30 people, maybe like a 10 people function. And it's like a birthday party for someone or something like that. And then like, you know, a person that you see shows up and, and you're like, Oh, I, I've seen them at the function beforehand. Um, and you kind of have like a conversation with them and you're like, Oh, that was, that was an, an, an totally inane, innocuous conversation I had that I'm never going to think about ever again. It's kind of how I feel every time mother Abigail <laughs> pops up in the series. It's just oh, like, yeah. just nothing like, happens. Like it's just so, it's not even like really good exposition either. It's it's just unnecessary filler to me. Like I still can't get over the fact when you mentioned if she just was a presence and it's like, yeah. that would be so much more effective than anything we're seeing with her actual character here. And it's sad because you know, Whoopi Goldberg is a fucking phenomenal actress and it's just, I'm surprised she took this because it's like, this is so non-essential or inessential. Yeah. I, just, I don't know. I mean, and to your point, Randall, like, yeah, they've shied away from both things, but they've definitely like when she's like, I, I've sinned in pride. I'm like, how? We mm-hmm. haven't seen right. you do anything we ha- like we've maybe heard people kind of talk about you being something, but you certainly haven't been a presence. And we certainly haven't seen you talk to more than like two people on the in the cast. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was. Yeah, strange. it's no, just I it's always died hard. in this episode, though. You guys didn't. <laughs> Pick that no, up. I didn't get that vibe. You just that thought she, she went to sleep. 
I thought she died because the candle of death gone. went out. Yeah, because right? really? the candle went out. Yeah. yeah, I've watched this episode twice, and in neither time did I think she died. <laughs> well, really? the, you're, pretty you're sure some... she's gone. But if she's not, I mean... you, 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 I'm going to reference you. Right. <laughs> what if she just comes <laughs> back Randall in like, right. the last episode, doesn't die, and is just like, yeah. oh look, you know, hey, she's you're back. back. She's, she's healthy again. I, I think it's like a major, major mistake to to make that candle go out just as she closes her eyes. I know. The last Clearly thing she says. Death. I thought she just <laughs> went to sleep. She's still alive. <laughs> I thought she was just like, light the candle stack. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe they, they, they turn out the candle. So they she cut you know, it, they, actually. They cut it because right after right after that, there's a moment where it, the, the it's over-the-shoulder shot of her, and you see them standing there around the bed, and then all of a sudden, Glenn just walks over and relights the candle. <laughs> <laughs> Or then, oh, then and then maybe like Ray's just like no 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 she doesn't like to sleep with it on. Right. Maybe both, maybe I both I times I watched time it. I've seen her, Randall. I think she will appear over the bed of a sleeping <laughs> oh, baby in the, the worst. hospital. <laughs> Literally, I think the worst part of the '94 miniseries that moment. Oh, um, yeah. No, I, that's so funny. I think I might have just been taking notes during both those, but and I don't know. I guess I just expected a bigger deal, like for her to. Well, like, that why? Yeah. This is always. Done anything the whole time. But this is an area that I didn't. I thought that was underdeveloped in the '94 miniseries. I thought it was underdeveloped here, and I also think it's very murky and unclear in the book itself. Like, yeah, it's yeah, as if they're like, all right, well, we need some conflict with Abigail. So let's just insinuate that she's going to leave, do something, not really define what that is, but it's all plot armor in the sense yeah. that like you could just do this oh, and then it yeah. gives more conflict. Like why? Like why did she leave in the first place? I'll say that I enjoy, like the concept of her engaging with the idea that she is being deified and is contributing to the deification is interesting to me yes. because how else do you really reckon with that? And I think a thing that the, the book never really settles on a clear answer either, which I don't mind. Mm -hmm. And I do like in this episode when, you know, there are these questions of, is she an agent of God or isn't she? Mm -hmm. And I do like that they engage with those questions a little bit. And I don't, you know, part of me is dissatisfied because it feels like they're just asking questions. But at the same time, there aren't really clear answers. So, and I kind of like the one answer that we kind of get with Glenn where, and this is similar to the book too, which is basically like, I'm not saying she's God, but like when there's evidence that something supernatural has happened, you'd be an idiot to not, acknowledge that yeah. and Did you say think that, that was kind of yeah. redundant from what he was talking about with like with Harold, Harold? yeah previously like, yeah it was a little bit but I, I honestly don't mind them bringing up again because I do think this is a question that is going to get litigated a lot yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. like because Franny says the same thing she's just like is is she God and he's or is she an agent of God and he basically says all I know is that I dreamed of her and she was here and that yeah. to me is like I'm glad that they keep sort of hammering that home which mm -hmm. is like they're not saying this is a Christian thing. They're saying that something happened and like the evidence is there to support her narrative, you know? And that doesn't mean that they've all like, I still, I still get annoyed when everybody like gets these big stupid eyes and like, like kind of, uh, you know, worship like Ray, like worships her, know. you know? Yeah. And it's like, you never really yeah, know why that. though. And right. like, that's the thing right. is, yeah, maybe she's a prophet, but does her being a prophet mean that you love her? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, what does she do? done for you like she yeah yes. i mean she i guess she created this community that's something but what has she really done for you that you love her you know and what i mean we haven't really seen her do 
much of anything mm-hmm. really like we see a couple of times when she's in dreams she's and then like, like the last thing we actually saw her do was disagree with Nick about whether to send the spies or not so if I'm looking at who was prideful in that discussion Nick is the one that reads as prideful and like yep. choosing his own idea and so for her to have this crisis of confidence that she's sinning against God like her her actions weren't carried out and right. I, like she there's was, no yeah. evidence for that like, yeah, we, we, I we agree, see the, 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 the movie The Santa Claus <laughs> does a better job outlining the, the the role and responsibility that's bestowed upon you than any episode in this like mini There should have been an Abigail well, clause. Well, it, it's it all like... boils down to the mistake <laughs> of if we're gonna shy away from from that aspect, the the, the treating her like a deity aspect and stuff. Mm-hmm. Then this the the leaving the camp for the pride for the, for the pride sin doesn't make sense. Then you gotta change that because right. you're taking away all that. So why is she actually leaving? It doesn't make it just right. Well, why is she in the story? You know, yeah. like what, yeah. in the book, she doesn't served? she doesn't she get like ravaged by the the by flag in the book? And it's like she doesn't get ravaged by flag, but dead. she comes back like emaciated from being yeah. in the woods because she hasn't eaten. And um and like they basically say she's like literally just you know, bones and a little bit of flesh. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, when she comes she, back. Like, pass some sticks and berries or something. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. always Ugh. freaking me out. But. Which it's I really guess gross. is supposed to be an illusion or a parallel or a comp to like what the, you know, Jesus going away for 40 days and 40 yes. nights, I guess, yeah. which is, yeah. and they played, they okay. toyed with that last week. Yeah. Right, um, right. But so, yeah, I don't know. We don't have to spend too much longer with Abigail because the rest of the episode is a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think we can all agree with that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah. And so basically she gives them a lot, like this scene, like a lot of this episode is actually pretty faithful to the book. She sends off um, uh, Larry, Stu, Glenn and Ray slash Ralph to go to Vegas to walk with just the clothes on their backs to not bring anything with them. She says Franny has to stay and she says bitter days are ahead. Um, And that, you know, basically as Franny's store, you know, kind of tries to reckon with Stu leaving, we get a little bit of that. And she, uh, I actually do like the fact that they engage a little bit with questions about Harold. Um, yes. She says, mm-hmm. she says, Mother Abigail never mentioned Harold. And I, I thought that was an interesting line. Uh, there's this discussion around, you know, are we just pieces being played by God and, you know, or pieces played by the devil? Like, um, and I think it's interesting that Franny really struggles with the idea that, like, Abigail couldn't tell this about Harold. And does that mean that, like, when she says he never mentions him, it seems like it's Franny sort of trying to reckon with the fact that Harold is truly, like, an agent of the Dark Man, which is something yeah. she seems like she's only just really grasping now. Which seems to be complementary to, like, any discussions about God. You know, when mm-hmm. you have any discussion about God, whether it's any denomination, it's always, well, how could he allow this to happen? You yeah. know, you know, like, oh, well, if there is a God and he's supposed to be this benevolent God and we're supposed to worship him, how could he allow famine? How could he allow disease? How could he allow all this, you know, awful negativity and evil? And I think that's just customary and complimentary of that conversation with Harold, you know, yeah. like, well, we'll be having that conversation when we discuss desperation in a few weeks as well. Say, <laughs> yeah. Cause God is cruel, but his cruelty yep. is refining. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Like, cause the other question is maybe did mother Abigail actually see that or know that about Harold and just not say anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a moment where Ray says mother a would never send us off to be murdered. And I was like, but that's exactly what she's doing. Like that yeah. is yeah. literally yeah, right. the way this story plays yeah, out. Wrong. And you know, and, and I mean, I'm not the... like questioning that yeah. because I think there's a sacrificial element, but 
you know. And there is the implication, too, that she knew Nadine was up to something because I wasn't on the episode where I believe it was episode six um, or five. Uh, but the episode where Nadine showed up and Mother Gabriel like had that discussion with her mm-hmm. about that she has a choice to make. And that I I actually kind of wished I was on that episode only because I think that is actually an improvement in a lot of ways on that relationship. Like, yeah, yeah. just because like Nadine is so rarely offered a choice in, um, in the book and the 94 miniseries that that moment she really like, it's more than just the fuck Larry choice. You know, it's like, that's an actual real moment of like human connection that is offered to her from mother Abigail, who's supposed to be the savior. And I always hated in the 94 version about how mother Abigail, she just turns her away. She like, like recoils at yeah. her and like says, get her out of here. here. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I hate. Like that to me is like, is awful. But, but that, that's, so, that was what's so confusing about that moment is also, you know, it's like, she doesn't, we don't see her do that with Harold though. And, and then what, to your point, Randall, I think she has that conversation with mother Abigail and then she goes to see Larry after that. So she, she it does, did affect yeah. her. But, yeah. You know, she just goes about it the wrong way and kind of scares out of Larry. And Larry's like, no, 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 not right now. Well, we ultimately conclude with that was then, that you know? it was a great scene, but there wasn't enough fat on the bone there. You know, like yeah. we right. needed a little yeah. bit Those more. Sides. We needed a little bit. And that's another thing with, you know, goes back to the time frame of this all is that, you know, these are complex and choices that people are making and there needs to be some nuance here and it's really hard to do that when you only have so many pages to work with so i mean yeah Yeah. so along those lines uh about harold and nadine we're gonna move into that story in a moment but um i did think it was interesting that they they keep in this sort of discussion which isn't in the book about uh about um Stu bringing Harold to justice and mm-hmm. Franny says that's not part of your mission but you're going to do it anyway and he says if I can yeah which ends up kind of being a wet fart because you know as we see uh like I got excited <laughs> when I heard that because I'm like because you know as I've mentioned on previous episodes I was very intrigued by the idea mm-hmm. that in this version of the stand maybe Harold makes it to Vegas yeah. because uh because they posited him as a main character he's the person who starts off he's the focus of the of the first episode. So I was very much like, man, that could be really cool. If like, we kind of see him interact with flag a little bit. Um, and so I was both a little disappointed, but also not because I think it's a good sequence. Um, when Harold actually does die in the way he does in the book, he uh, is thrown from his bike. Uh, basically, uh, Nadine is complicit in it. And he, uh, kind of dies on this hillside, you know, in like outside of Nevada. And it's really depressing. And, really um, depressing. And yeah. I think yeah. it's, I think it's well done here. Uh, this sequence, we, there isn't too much time spent with him here. Uh, but we do, you know, and we actually do get, you know, in the 94 miniseries, Corey Nemec just writes, I was misled, which I also think is powerful yeah, in its I own way. Like but that, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I like actually, that they kept the, book you know they were pretty yeah. true to the book i i think that's good i also but isn't it in the book they don't even find it didn't it blow away he, by the time he, they well, get there he, he thinks uh, the, you know jen and i were talking about this right before yeah. recording actually um so i'll, I'll defer to her actually <laughs> i think they find it but i don't think it's like this big scene i think they talk about um they mention it like oh yeah and then the next week we came across him and i think it if memory is serving i think it's like Stu that actually feels more of a connection to him uh-huh. than well in the Larry miniseries does. he does but, this I mean, they come across him but, <laughs> but did they but did they did they, did they read the, the note? Did they read the yeah. note? I don't, I don't they, know. I, don't I can't remember. I don't think they did. So I, 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 I like. Oh. I actually like all three. So yeah. I, I'm fine yeah. with the version we got in this. I do like the. You know, I freely take. You know, 
I take yeah. responsibility. Take responsibility. I or, loved or the Hawk note and all that. Here, you know, that was I, I my like favorite that, part, yeah. and I cried. I, I got a treat a that's going to be an homage to. Uh, it's got a payday. Oh, yeah. I thought that was. I thought that was really weird too. It, it was wasn't the chocolate paydays though. It was just the regular yeah. paydays. Hey, well, you know, hey, if you listen to our, listen, uh, we have an interview with Owen ran out. We have an interview with Owen Teague tomorrow uh, that is going to be dropping, and you will hear all about the paydays, including oh, nice. why uh, he didn't get the chocolatey payday that I'm, I'm eating right mm. now. Oh, interesting. So, but I yeah. wanted to say Oh, you go ahead, Jen. Yeah, I wanted to say something about the letter that he wrote, because they make an important change to King's book, which I think is really significant, and I love, because in the book he says, I was misled, and here he says, I allowed myself to mm-hmm. be misled. And I think that that distinction is kind of an update now that like 40 years have passed and we understand that Harold is an incel and that this is like the the miniseries is not letting him off the hook and I like that there's that hubris of yes this happened because I let it happen not because the dark man was so tricky and he's so powerful and I'm still the victim like he is seeing himself as the bully because he says this is not in the book Um, fuck those guys and fuck Uh me for allowing myself to be even worse than them. And I think like when he says this, the walkie talkie thing, and he says, um, I do this of my own free will. I've always kind of thought he's, he's not, he's not doing it of his own free will because flag and Nadine have manipulated him so much that he thinks he is, but he's not really. And here I think it's like a turn on that of, I did this of my own free will. I let myself be manipulated because I really just wanted to hang on to my anger more than I wanted anything else. Well, to, to Teague's credit, God, which he's so great in these final Mm -hmm. moments, but like that face that he gives Nadine, but you know, with one of his last gasps, it's just, it, it literally looks just like almost comical in the way that it's so evil. Mm-hmm. It says it has all the emotions that are tied to this letter, which is, you know, terror, angst, yeah. vengeance, but also in something that I, I discussed in great lengths with, with Teague is pity. Um, yeah. and, 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 and a lot of like in a sense of loss and that idea that I let my, I let my fury, get the best of me of where it is and you know and my choices have lowered me have lowered the bar that I kind of was afraid of growing up you know like he, you know he says that in his letter he's just like you know I'm worse than the people that I thought were worse mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. or, or like or, yeah. uh, or were evil you know I'm more mm-hmm. evil than the those that I considered evil and like that sense of humility and self-awareness of it just adds so much tragedy to the character in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you hate him. So it's like, yeah. it is. Well, he's trying, yeah, he's trying to go out with a little bit of dignity with that yeah. note, you know, and it's, yeah. it doesn't really work. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's almost a pathetic gesture in a yeah. lot of ways. And pathetic, I think is the right word. And he embodies that really well. Um, like, like just the, yeah, like you mentioned, Mike, that face he makes is really powerful. And it, a lot of it, I think has to do with the fact that that's that final gasp, you know, it's, it's, it's that final, like, that realization that he's been played all yeah. this time mm-hmm. that that it's that humiliation mm-hmm. and the anger and all of it and it just burns off in that moment and then yeah. he has these moments to bake there under the sun knowing he's going to die and like all he can say is like like you know i was i was duped but the dignity is in is is in owning it and in yeah. saying like I allowed myself to be misled and um, I take responsibility. I did this of my own free will. And I, I think that's interesting. I, 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 you know, you mentioned that Stu has more of the connection in the book and also in the miniseries, as Mike noted, uh, <laughs> um, he Gary feels Sinise, like gunshot. 
like, he feels a gunshot and then says, gun oh. oil in my mouth. It must be Harold. Um, it's really bizarre. It's such a weird moment. Um, and so, uh, and then he's like, may God have mercy on his pathetic excuse for a soul. I just wish and that I, you had B-roll of just them doing it. Uh, Sinise, uh, do the take again. <laughs> Not enough gunshot. But Randall, I, I, I like, I think you're going there. I like that Larry goes down or that he yeah, says, you know, that. like he did bring, you know, me here. You know, I, I followed him out here. So like, regardless of whatever he's done, like he doesn't deserve to be like that. <laughs> you know, he does throw the jacket on him, but it's uh, something. <laughs> you know, but yeah. but he does go and he does read what he had to say, which he didn't have to. He could have just thrown the jacket down too. You know, right. so there's like, a very powerful of, metaphor, kind of like, too, in the sense that like you know, Harold's been putting on a face this entire time, and it's not only did he you know lose himself, but the face itself is gone. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, the part that totally deep. blew it off. And it seems like such a tragedy too, like considering how much potential Harry could, or Larry, fuck, who are we talking about? Uh, Harry, Harold, a new character. Harry, Harry you know, we're close. Um, seven, no. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I wouldn't put it past this version. But yeah, like the tragedy of like how smart he is and how like the line, I could have been something in Boulder is probably my favorite line of the entire book. And yeah. there's so much like hubris and tragedy there. And just the fact that, like this is how he's going to end. And I think you can see that in him in the end. And the part that really haunted me is right after he makes that face and he tries to shoot Nadine, like the scream, it's almost like mm-hmm. a sob, you know? And it's like, this yeah. is, I've, I don't have any more control. I gave all of my control yeah. away. Well, it's just one and of those tragic left. deaths. I mean, it's, it's one of the more uh, depressing moments in deaths in all of King's work. Agreed. I think, I think we're at the conclusion of that character Oof, that's like on a high note compared to like any of his other characters. Well, it's just so dark. But you and look at that, yeah. Lonely. I mean, you know, it's not like some he got he got it by some ghost or something. You know what I mean? It's just it's right. just this lingering thing. And then he does himself, you know, and it's yeah. it's it is very singular. Yeah, it's yeah. Powerful. And I guess like I, I I didn't dislike Larry being the one to sort of you know read the note and engage with him, but mm-hmm. it just felt a little well. There's a couple things, but. It's weird because we just had this convo with Stu where Stu was just like, I'm going to pay him back, you know, and it's like, I'm going to have this. And and we saw a lot more scenes between Stu and Harold than we did with Larry and Harold. I mean, I might like this, this like Larry doing it more like a we like I we complained about this in the early episodes, but Larry talks about how he followed Harold Lauder's signs. But we didn't even see that until like episode three. But it was episode two that he went and visited him. And that's such a short scene. And then the other uh, the only other time we we see Harold and Larry like, you know, well, they where they intersect is when Larry uh, searches his house, like breaks in and searches his house. So it's like, I you know, I don't really see that connection. Although I, I can see it's like, in Larry's character and I see yes. the motivation, but it just as a viewer, it didn't quite well, land. Whereas think... if, if Stu sort of set aside his anger for a moment and like saw how pathetic and, and everything was, I think it might've landed a bit more only because the two of them have this like more of a history, you know? Yeah. Right. I, 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 there's, there's a, there's three things here. Like you have Larry, I think it might've been hard for Stu. Cause I mean, you literally look down there and he's like skull ridden corpse. I think it might, I think maybe his any hesitation there just as a human being, because he did spend so much time with Harold. It was hard mm-hmm. to see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Larry 
yeah, he's a little more detached from it. So I think maybe that's why he he felt like he could just go down there, like, you know, immediately. Also, Stu might have thought, well, that's pretty steep. Someone's supposed to fall on the way. Yeah, Larry, you go for it. You go. <laughs> but here's the thing I, I would argue for it is that, you know, for one, yes, they, they do have a very weird, disparate connection. Um, but symbolically, it does make sense. And, and, and also through the arc, it does, too, because, I mean, if you recall in the early in the episode, it's it's Larry who's actually talking to Glenn uh, in, you know, in the assembly area. That's like you think it was, you know, Harold, you think it was Nadine. And, and it kind of confirms all the suspicions that Larry has had all along. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's a conclusion of that. But then also it does feel like a nice parallel to, OK, Harold's been leaving these messages the whole time. This is his final message. I'm going to read it. Like in that, so in there, yes, I, I, I yeah. do make yeah. sense. But, but also at the same time, like I, I don't know. I, 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 it is weird because it's they didn't have much of a connection between that. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, still I, don't, I think sides. they also just kept walking. Yeah, yeah, they just, like, <laughs> they just had Ray, you know, honestly, right. they should just uh, had yeah, Ray do him. All right, because Ray hasn't had anything to do. So you know, right. we're, we're losing the sun. Well, and that's um, the thing with the book is you can read, like you can hear all of his thoughts, but somebody's yeah, got to read it. Like he's yeah. not going to read this out loud. Let me proofread by hearing it. What if it was the crow <laughs> that did it though? Like, you know, or the vulture <laughs> that turned to the side and it's like, I'll read it for you. I'm yeah. like, whoa. I didn't know you could talk. Well, let me go down and read it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could see it as a continuation of Larry following Harold across yes. the country mm. because they're on the same path. And he, like he says, the dark man is real. Like it is a warning mm-hmm. there yeah. for what's yeah. to come. Although I don't know if that's intended, but no, I sure. think symbolically it makes sense. I mean, that's, I, yeah, I think there's some, yeah. you know, there's some connection. And I like for it sure. for Larry's character also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we talk about Nadine, let's talk a little bit about the boys and Ray uh, as they venture across the wilds. I do. I, I am glad you brought up that scene between Glenn and Larry early in the episode, Mike. We do get this, um, you know, brief discussion about the bomb, sort of this, you know, postmortem about it. And uh, they actually do have sort of, I thought, an interesting conversation, or at least one I, I felt a little bit of, um, you know, feeling about when Glenn and Larry are discussing and they're talking about burying something. And mm-hmm. I, the way that Glenn, I think, delivers will bury something, like in regards yeah. to Nick, I thought was really affecting. It was just a mm-hmm. nice piece of acting there. And then, um, but then, of course, I get frustrated because they're like, well, Nick was her favorite. And I'm like, why? I know. Why was she his favorite? <laughs> Tell so us. <laughs> Uh, and so, um, but yeah, we do get those discussions and then when they hit the road, you know, there's, I think that there's some fun kind of back and forth and banter with the four of them. I think specifically, you know, Larry being like, shouldn't we develop a plan? You know, like, right. where are we going to get water? And then they're, and then, you know, so you can see the people who are kind of more content with sort of this spiritual journey versus the people who are maybe a little bit like, we're still on the road. We could you know, starved to death, guys. And then uh, and then also Ray gets a teensy little bit of personality when they uh, expect her to uh, yeah. know what water won't make them shit themselves. And mm. um, and she basically uh, says, you're stereotyping me, but also you're correct. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and it's fun guys. to see a little bit of of playfulness with, you know, Glenn and Stu and all them. A little bit of the bond that exists between them, which I think is important. We haven't gotten a ton of it uh, throughout this but I think seeing the four of them as a unit who can laugh together, who can, you know, 
bicker yeah. a little bit and everything. It's helpful and it helps set up, you know, I think the, the rest of the episode. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we spend a lot of time with them just walking. And uh, very similarly, I think, to the 94 miniseries, uh, I actually really like a lot of the cinematography here. I think oh, they yeah. do a good job. Yeah, they do a really good job. Uh, showing sort of the desolation, but also the beauty that sort of exists, um, you know, even post-apocalypse of, of this version of America. Uh, what did you guys think about these scenes? So I have two things. One, love uh, the needle drop here with Radiohead's The Promise. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, the, or I Promise, uh, which is actually, a, it's a B-side off of uh, OK Computer. But like, I, right. it also is just really fitting thematically just because it's all about devotion. Um, which you know clearly ties into what they're doing right now. Um, having said that, um, I, as I texted you, Randall, I have looked more weathered walking from walking to and from CVS in January, Chicago <laughs> than they did for ninety miles. Ninety. They miles. didn't actually walk it. They they probably had them drive to those locations. <laughs> <laughs> A little behind the scenes. Like, like put some <laughs> smudge on their face. Like like the, the like when they cut to the first scene after they you know they've walked the ninety miles to whatever town they're in. It's so like, no, no one's really achy. They're all like totally fine. I'm like, give me something. Like, give me some fucking line about them being like, ah, you know, my, 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 my knees kind of hurt. Because look, I walked 15 miles in one day uh, over the summer. And by the time I got to the end, I was literally like, my, my, my legs were curled and my feet were, 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 were so hurt that I was staggering up one block after another. And I, I have to imagine like that they wouldn't walk, look you know? like this. It was a yeah. long walk, but 90 miles in, in like a couple of days or whatever it was, like, come on, like you'd, you'd give me something. And then by the time we actually do see them get, you know, past the states and, you know, the state of Utah and all, you get like maybe a little bit of tussle hair for Glenn. And then <laughs> Marsden doesn't even have a fucking beard. Like, I mean, come on. It's just give me a little more yeah. weather. That, Still got to be it. hot, though. <laughs> they are, they're all hot, but, you know. Well, that's true. Yeah. And yeah. weathered can be hot also. Yeah, that's um, true. I really liked these scenes a lot. Um, and this is, side note, this is why I like the meeting notes in the Boulder mm -hmm. section so much because it's like the characters playing with each other. And I really... I found myself really wishing that we had had more of this because yes. like this was like finally Ray comes alive and has some kind of personality. And we see that like like they they know each other and they're friends with each other. And also it gave me like really big Lord of the Rings vibes, yeah. which I think King <laughs> says was an inspiration shot, yeah. for this. Yeah. On top of the mountain, which I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, the only like reason the under, to do that the under, is to... <laughs> like looking up at them as they all four walk by. Like, right. Very much like only the reason to do that is to pretend to be Lord yeah. of the Rings because you're not going to walk <laughs> on that mountain <laughs> for any other reason. But yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah. No, I, I dug it, Randall. I, I thought that, uh, it was shot really well. As soon, you know, I'm I'm not usually a fan of the needle drops, but this is such an obscure Radiohead song. It's only it surfaced like this last year that I was all about it. And I think it's just a, a pretty good choice. Like like Mike said, I think it's actually pretty pretty good. Uh, subtle subtle lyrics. Um, <laughs> unlike <laughs> needle drop at the end, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that uh, yeah I, I was I had no problems with this I, again I think the thing that we were saying is that this this really is pretty faithful to the book for the most part a lot of this very much the episode so. and there were like maybe maybe certain things about it that, that I didn't love but I, I I actually liked all the the, the montage was fine I, I less critical of it than than Mike in terms of the the way they look but now that I'm thinking about it or was that five o'clock shadow Marston? I mean, right. If he's supposed to just stubble. get on the road, I mean, Larry doesn't even bring the guitar this time. You know, no. like he does in the miniseries. <laughs> smart, you, maybe he hurt. snuck a razor in. You know, 
Well, it makes me think. I don't think he was supposed to bring the guitar, was he? Because she said, bring, wear what's on Not your back. That, yeah. Don't bring oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you, God forbid you bring a camera. But that's why <laughs> what happens to Larry happens to Larry in the, in the original miniseries. <laughs> and also the book. Because <laughs> he says, you brought a guitar. And then... <laughs> um, yeah, I like these scenes. Uh, and I mean, I think one of the things that... I think this is one of the first episodes... I don't think the direction's been bad by any... Uh, stretch of the imagination. I think mostly the direction on this series has been pretty good and it's had a certain dynamism to it. Um, I think by and large, maybe not ex- uh, throughout, but this episode was the first one that really made me kind of turn my head a little bit about who directed it. And it turned out that it was directed by Vincenzo Natale, director of uh, In oh. the Tall Grass by Stephen King on Netflix. Ooh. And also the director of Cube and uh, Splice and a couple other pretty fun movies. Very Ooh. interesting director. and uh, But definitely has a really strong eye, I think. And um, some of the drone shots and some of the uh, yeah. sweeping sort of, um, you know, the majesty of nature, but also Las Vegas. And we'll talk, you know, obviously, I think we'll talk a lot more about the Las Vegas uh, scenes at oh, the yeah. end later on. But but I think um, I think there was a really strong eye on this episode in terms of of really just showing the world and how and like the how small the characters actually are within it. Mm-hmm. And I thought even though it was very Walking Dead-ish, I actually quite like the shot when um uh, kind of you see the beauty and the majesty of nature and them walking and then the camera pans down and you've got the dead body like right there. Like the death is yeah. still littered throughout, you know, the world as it is. Although the corpse is just so very like walking dead. I but, thought the uh, corpses like strewn across like the landscapes was pretty well done in this episode. Like even yeah. early on, like, you know, in the opening or like next to like the nuclear thing, like you see like a bunch of corpses that are just sitting there. And yeah. you know, to your point, always right away, like people dying in a spot. It seems like they would die in these spots. As yeah, well as I have no issue. Yeah, with what it. was yeah. that guy doing on that field? You know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he was reading pong. Lord of the Rings or something like that, and he's like, "I didn't, I didn't <laughs> make it." Well, yeah, that one when Trash was driving out, further. that does remind me of the opening shot at the beginning with Campion and the gate. Yes. Yep. Oh, I said through. the same like, thing. Oh, yeah. Jeff. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, that. I wanted I, a little I'm, Raggedy Ann and Don't Fear the Reaper, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean, the scope is really important here, and it helps that the, the terrain is is very segmented, which is exactly what it's like out there. Um, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time uh, as a kid just because my parents would just ship me out to, like, you know, random uh, road trip camps type things, and it's a very wide, expansive area, and then I love the line about them talking about Utah, and Larry leans on his experience of touring and being like, yeah, you know, I've, I've been to that, through that state and just a long winding roads of nothing. And it's true. Yeah. It's very, so it's a hallway state, you know, you have to get, yeah. through, you have to get through it to the next state. You really do. And it's, and it's, but the, that, that sort of these beatific shots and paired with the loneliness really comes through in ways that this miniseries hasn't been able to accomplish yet. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of shocked with just the locations. Cause I mean, I mean, I have to imagine they actually did maybe film in Vegas. I don't know, maybe not, but like a lot of the terrain is pretty differentiated. And like, even though Vancouver does provide a lot of different terrain, being able to even actually have like desert shots is pretty fucking cool. I just, Mm -hmm. I just was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, I kind of groaned a little bit when they got to, you know, the split in the highway. Uh, and it was sort of, yes. there was sort of a portentous quality to the way it was shot in the sound cue. Like, you know, it's going down here, you know, like it, it felt like it was very much played for uh, fans of the story or the book. Yeah. Uh, and like, but I thought the sequence overall, though, was pretty good. Um, I definitely, you know, 
felt the crack, you know, the break when it happened. (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, basically we see, um, the four of them plus Kojak, you know, reach this impasse and they have to, uh, you know, go down a hill and then go up another one, uh, to get to the other side. And this is where, as mother Abigail foretold, one of them would fall along the way. And Stu is the one who falls because he, uh, slips when he reaches the top, breaks his leg and is basically stuck at the bottom of this, uh, this little pit. And, uh, and yeah, and so then there's a sort of the conversation, I think I, the thing was, this was so faithful to the book in so many ways that I almost got bored because <laughs> I was just yeah. like, right, right. I know this scene so well, but mm-hmm. as Mike, Mike texted me a little bit earlier about this, the, they did kind of toy with the dialogue, um, a little bit and, uh, with sort of the rationalization for why they should keep going and leave Stu behind. And there is this discussion of, uh, though I, you know, walk through the shadow of the Valley of Death, this concept of fearing no evil, Stu sort of being this almost like calm presence, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, very much what he is um, in the story as well, Uh, you know, and kind of easing Larry, who is sort of the hothead in this moment. Uh, Mike, what was it about this scene that, that landed hard with you? Well, I, I just think it's just the the way that you know Vincenzo Natalia allows the patience and the pregnant pauses to kind of you know stir the air a little bit, and also just Marsden's p- delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he obviously he has a hero muscle to flex, but he couches it with so much humility too that it just feels real to me. Um, and the bond between him and Glenn is just is pretty palpable. Like I, I you know, from the little time that we've had with them. They have been able to, you know, form something, forge some sort of a, like bond that 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 feels real, feels true, and I think that probably speaks more to the fact that like you have two of the stronger actors that are on it too, um, you know, with Kinnear and and, and and Marsden. But I don't know. There's a lot of conviction in this scene, and and it could come off as cheesy. And I usually hate when they like lean on like biblical allusions and stuff. But God, I just I don't know. It's funny you mentioned like you were bored during these scenes. I was too when I first watched it. I was like, okay, I already I know everything's gonna happen here. I want to go get a drink. And then, but the second time I watched it last night, it really did hit me in a way. And and I hmm. and I got kind of spooked out by like just the, the 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 somber nature of being in that valley. Which, by the way, they really went in on that ravine. It's like fucking Kong two thousand five. Like just like <laughs> so deep, so intense. Like they they really had to like explode that whole fucking thing multiple times to get that depth. Mm. But I don't know. It worked for me. I, I, I really like that part. But. Yeah. No attempt to find out if it gets shallower anywhere yeah. down the road. <laughs> yeah, it's right? like, oh, well, guess we're they going have, for they it. Don't attempt. They've, they've got to be at a certain place. Flag knows they're going to be there. That's true. Yeah, yeah they have a date. I would, um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't... Uh, I, I don't know. I wasn't bored because I kept thinking, like they've done in many episodes before this, that they, maybe they're going to change something. So mm-hmm. like even when Larry goes first, I forgot. Oh yeah, he, you know, he does go first. But I thought, oh, is Larry gonna be the one that are they gonna switch this? Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, Ooh. where are they, is is this really? Are they really gonna do this? Because when they were they're so faithful to the Harold thing, and I guess I started thinking about that too. I thought, you know, well, Harold and Franny were kind of like the main characters of the first episode, but we know Franny's not really a, a big player at the end of this. So why are we expecting Harold to be like? They probably will just follow suit. But I really didn't expect them. But I, see, I guess as soon as they did that, I thought, yeah, we're going to start following some of the beats because we're getting so close to the end. Why mess with some? Why mess with things that like, like mm-hmm. don't, don't don't fix it if it's not broken kind of thing. Like I I, I like yeah. that sequence. Yeah. You bring up a good point, which is essentially that 
this show has sort of trained us to expect surprises, which yeah. I enjoy. Like that mm-hmm. to me has been one of the most enjoyable parts of this. And that's why I think maybe I was feeling a little bored because the episode was ticking along very much as it does, especially with Harold's death, uh, with sort of the, the trip into the ravine and all of that. Obviously we get our big change uh, with Nadine's uh, character, which we'll talk about in a moment. But before we get there, let's uh, basically right after they come out of the ravine, um, uh, Lloyd is there with a limo to pick them up, which I thought was kind of a fun choice because we never really get to see Lloyd only in the, you know, after they've been captured, do we get to see mm-hmm. Lloyd actually engage with these people from Boulder. And I think the concept of putting them in a limo, uh, the three of them in the, in the limo with Lloyd, who is so flamboyant and smoking this, you know, fancy cigarette and with this goofy ass hat on and just his, his whole mannerisms are so different from theirs. And I actually quite like just the juxtaposition, which is, um, you know, it played for some fun comedy. I think Larry, uh, Jovena Depo's face when he's kind of staring at Larry is yeah. really, really funny. Like he's just got this very, like, I can't believe that I'm engaging with this guy. Like this guy is so mm-hmm. absurd. And, um, and so I quite liked, uh, uh, that kind of detail of them meeting up with not, you know, Hank Drogan or whoever on the street. Um, yeah. But to, to that uh, point, it, it also yeah. made sense though, Randall, that he would go out there because after the Bobby Terry thing, you know, you know that he's <laughs> like, I'm not sending any assholes to do any of this stuff. Like Lloyd, you're doing it yeah. personally. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, Did you notice that the limo was driving on the left side of the road? When they oh no. Back? Cause new Vegas don't give a fuck. And they're just, <laughs> breaking all the rules yeah, they don't care <laughs> they, they, they ain't, there ain't no one coming and going i will say exactly. i kind of i just hate how like everyone who like works in vegas has to look like you know like a like a b-movie scumbag <laughs> like, right you know, yeah. like the guy who was driving the limo yeah. has this long gray ponytail and this suit on him like he looks like such like a goon from like a jimmy con movie like a 90s mm-hmm. jimmy con movie um yeah i don't know i just thought that was very funny um uh, yeah, so we basically watch them drive into Vegas. I mean, I think we honestly get like our best depiction yes. of New yeah. Vegas in yeah. these scenes. I have uh, a lot to discuss in the cemetery for that. Actually. Yeah, and we'll yeah. talk. Yeah, we'll get to the cemetery. But I, what I loved was, um, you know, we kind of drive in, we see empty streets, uh, mm. but it's very clean. And then we, but we see crucified bodies. We see, and what I really loved was the screens where Randall Flagg is on all the screens and he has a child in his lap and it's, it's very propaganda, you know, yeah. uh, heavy, what is which, being, what is being said there? Uh, see, on my that's, stream, it was, it was very garbled. I couldn't I struggled tell with what it was too. being said. So, like and, no but I love that, but I love that though, because that, that's what added more to the horror of it. I mean, I'll probably digress, well, whatever. Yeah, we can talk now. more about it later. But yeah. That, that's certainly an, an, a reason why I'm, I want to stress on it in the cemetery for sure. The only line that I really caught was he at one point he goes no whining. Yeah. <laughs> then there, which, there was like <laughs> I say that a lot, so I was like, <laughs> okay. no um, whining. Yeah, and then but we see a statue is being erected of Randall Flag. That there's a uh, you know we get a sense <laughs> the that these Caesar are the statue. The, yeah, 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 that the slaves are the ones working on it because they're being whipped when they stop working. <laughs> um, and then they arrive at uh, at the casino, and we actually see a casino that isn't filled with people fucking for once, which I was, right. it was very refreshing, honestly. I was like, this I'm just looks confused. like a casino. I, yeah, it was, it kind of confused me. I thought, where's like, the orgies? Where are we? Did, did Vag leave? Is Lloyd like starting a revolution? Is this a new casino? <laughs> 
Well, uh, you know, so, Vegas is split in half. You get old Vegas and new Vegas. So maybe like old Vegas, uh, maybe it was old Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. and then yeah. new Vegas is where all the fucking's yeah. going. <laughs> new old Vegas, Vegas is more respectable. Yeah. It's more respectable <laughs> right. over there. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Circus, so circus. before we dig into the final moment of the episode, uh, let's backtrack a little bit to talk about uh, the final kind of big arc of this of this episode, which is Nadine. So after she parts with Harold and basically says, you know, it's better this way, she basically tells him um, he was never meant to arrive in Vegas, that she is the one who is destined to be part of it. Um, he is, uh, you know, his purpose is essentially, you know, expired. Um, she is driving by herself, sees uh, a figure, an apparition in the distance, stops and then finds some uh, flower petals that kind of yep. lead the way into the desert. And, and yeah, and then we kind of, a little bit with reality here where she sort of starts fading in and out of the desert but also randall flags sweet in las vegas and um and they have this sort of discussion about you're finally here they make out a little bit uh they talk about harold um flag says harold was never meant to live among the gods like you which i thought was an interesting line and then um yeah and then basically they consummate their relationship um, I guess before we get into, I think there's sort of like the pre-sex and the post-sex Nadine stuff here. Um, what yes. do we think about the pre-sex leading up to the sex? Cause there's, uh, I, I will say I struggled a little bit with, um, with the Skinamax quality harkening mm-hmm. back to episode two with Heather Graham and, um, and, uh, Larry, Jonah Depo. Here we get a little bit of the same sort of gauzy, uh, very romantic sex, which, you know, I and I understand that there's a progression happening here. But uh, but, you know, I think I didn't need to see his his bare ass pounding, I guess. Um, I will say for the record, I did need to see <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess like I mean, I was all about that, too. But at the same at the same time. <laughs> I guess I just felt like I kind of like how it's handled in the miniseries. I, I know I'm not trying to like, I'm just saying is I wish it kind of was like that because at this point, mm-hmm. Nadine's done everything she's supposed to do. She's now where she's supposed to be. I just don't think, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't know flag, but I don't, I just feel like, you know, she's there to serve a purpose. Like, I don't think that he's really taking pleasure in this. Like, you know what I mean? You don't think he's so like for it to go in, on as long as it her? does, yeah, because like for it to go on as long as it does, and then, you know, then but we see what's really is going to put on. This demon O face. Yeah, but like, he takes his time. Like, I don't know. It just seems weird. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, just do it, and then and we, just be muddy flag man and do it. <laughs> you know, I like think I think flag I think flag uh, is a bad boy. He en- he he hosts orgies at the casino. I think he is someone who takes great. Uh, enjoyment in in uh, the bone zone with Nadine and I think that uh, you know the way it plays out here is 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 very much in line with the book in some degree but then the the next the, the morning after is where it sort of deviates a bit although I'll, yes. let's touch on sort of the mm-hmm. transformation here a little bit like you mentioned Mr. Muddy here uh, which was Not a very so we sort of see the real right. Randall flag here uh, you know, once, and this is very similar to the book and very similar to, um, 
uh, you know, the 94 miniseries in that the sex starts out consensual, then it's not anymore, and it becomes very violent and very angry, and, and then he sort of transforms into his monstrous true form as he, you know, approaches climax. And here, instead of sort of the, you know, horned, uh, craggy face that we get in the 94 series, he sort of turns into this, um, you know, gray, stony, mud-covered man. Um, I personally, Mac, disagree with you. I thought it was actually quite striking um and uh, because i wasn't expecting that at all and um and it's the thing is it's ringing bells the figure is ringing bells for me in terms of i've seen a similar creature to this before but i can't place Mm. it and maybe that's like contributing to it but i think the 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 tenor of the roar the deepness of the roar uh was impactful to me and i think maybe contributed to that sort of manifestation that he takes what did the rest of you guys think about it well it reminded me of like in under the skin you know no spoilers but Mm, yeah when you finally see her true form uh, it just had that sort of uh striking visual element to it i mean i i agree with you in the sensual nature of the sex scene when they're actually in the vegas hotel room is very skinamax red shoe diaries but i do love the sort of lynchian qualities of like almost like the red room where she's walking. It's almost like phantasm also where she like walks to the desert. And then all of a sudden she like looks and she sees that she's in Vegas, but then it kind of mm-hmm. fades back into the desert. Like I love that off and on quality of it. Cause it made it really <clears throat> orienting and really haunting too at the same time. Um, it also made it really stressed the seductive nature of what is actually happening. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I dug that and uh, look, you know, I like Alexander Skarsgård, but give me give me more orc. I want the orc. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I I like the seduction part. I like that it became the casino and all that. I thought that was really well done, rather than just being like a sexy campfire like in the miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I I thought that was really smart. But I, I I yeah, I don't know for for as much seduction as went on and all this stuff. So that when they actually showed like his his true form, quote unquote, I. I was just like, oh man, if for all this seduction, all this stuff, you really needed to go there. And I just felt like they didn't do it. I mean, that's just yeah. me personally. But I wouldn't, if you were Nadine though, and I was thinking about this in the second time I was watching it, and you're like in Vegas, you're in the bed, you're having sex, everything's fine. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, all right, well, guess what? Um, we're going to drive to Vegas now. I'd be like, what, what are you nuts? Like, don't you have like superpowers? Like can't, we can't just go back to fucking Vegas. Like I, we have to actually drive oh, there. She, she's, she's not all there anymore. After that, she's not. No. She's not well, anymore. I would say my my big problem though is that I still don't feel a really strong connection between the two of them. At least no. I don't. You know, before the morning after, I think. Um, I, you know, she has this line to Harold where she says something along the lines of like, I need him and he needs me. And I'm like, why though? It's that right. Nick, it's that Nick question. Like m- m- Nick was Mother Abigail's favorite. Why? Because mm-hmm. you tell us, you know? And so I want, I wanted, uh, we saw this, uh, this concept that Flag almost chose Nadine for her as a child to make his bride. But there's got to be more there. There's got to be something more there than just this random person who was plucked, you know, and chosen by this person. And that's where I think I struggle a little bit is I just want the slightest hint as to what it is that brings them together. Well, I have What's a quick up, note on that. Just, just sorry to, to jump on it. But like in the beginning when, you know, Nadine and uh, Harold are talking, one of the things I thought was really interesting was the fact that like, you know, adding more tragedy to Harold. He's like, well, I get there. I want to get a woman that, you know, mm-hmm. is going to make you look like a potato sack. Yeah. But then I wrote he, that quote down he, he stresses to her, like, but you're stuck with him. Mm-hmm. And there's this like 
sense that that's an implication for Nadine, which I guess the surprise here is that she accepts it. You know, it doesn't seem as if she's, you know, too terrified of him. So maybe that's the, the subversion or the twist here. And one of the reasons why it doesn't, I don't know, maybe I read the scene wrong, but it just feels more like Nadine's more receptive of this than, say, Laura San Giacomo's performance in 1994 miniseries. I, I, I will say that's probably my fifth time saying it wrong, her last name, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, so I, I think she's pretty into it, like across the board in both versions. I but there hate... seems to be regret in the in the '94 miniseries that I don't. I mean, granted, we haven't seen where Nadine's arc is going to end up, but like it seems like there's more of a. This is me. This is an acceptance of who I am, and the fact that she's even seeing Larry is pretty. Well, in, 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 yeah, but in the '94 miniseries, after this, the deed is done. She's like lost it. She's oh, yeah, not, she's, she's not doing time. things for flags. She's not. Yeah, she's just kind of gone. Well, yeah, she says and that's that weird thing in the hotel. Yeah, it's like that in the book it's as totally well. different. Yeah, it's very different. Uh, Jen, what were you gonna say? I hate everything about Nadine in this episode, and it really, really bugs me. And it's been like I have not really ever liked her arc in this ad adaptation. And I, I actually kind of liked um, the one in the '94 series, although I don't think anybody who has ever told this story has understood how to write for Nadine and how to make yeah. her a real character. And it wouldn't bug me as much if I hadn't just watched them do that with Harold because they did such a good job of really getting in his head and explaining why he did, like the conflict that he had. And like one of the things that's a little bit different in this episode is the implication or not implication, but she is the one who causes Harold's motorcycle crash like she's it's the weird thing that I don't think really works but by like speeding up and slowing down she's the one who causes him to crash and she even says it's better this way yeah. and I think in the book it was like he caught a glimpse and flag was the one to like yep. flag really was the do that in the miniseries too right. and I think in this version it was almost like she, I was trying to figure out what they were trying to do like are, are you trying to say that Nadine is in a way is trying to like save Harold from going, but clearly not right. because he's but like, she's not, almost dies. She killed him. <laughs> you know? Well, and that's the I, thing. That would have been a stronger choice. Like to, any if, kind if of they choice. Were like, yeah, yeah. 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 Because she feels like you get that moment where, Oh, maybe I feel bad for what I did when she's sitting at the amphitheater, but never follows up. Like maybe like she doesn't want the kids to be at the visual, but it's never like, I never believe any of it. I feel like in the book, there's this implication that she was chosen by flag but here, it's that she just, the line that really bugged me was when he said, and now you get to be my wife. Yay. Like, this is, like, the whole thing. It was very, like, Lady Macbeth. And, like, I just want this yes. proximity to power. And I am, like, keeping myself pure. And I'm doing all of this stuff to please you rather than, like, uh, like him, like, manipulating her and her, like, really struggling with the choices she's making. And I don't feel like she struggles at all None. with anything she's doing. And I don't necessarily – I think it's just because they didn't write it for her. And also, I don't think she's – You just don't see her well. ever being genuinely afraid of him. Like, well, that's like what I'm, I'm doing this because I'm – like, yes, he's seductive and he's attractive, you know, but, like, there's also that tinge of – what you need is also that tinge of like, I'm also doing this because I think this guy might like rip my head off if I don't. Right. You know, what I mean, I think I might be, you know, not long for this world if I don't do this. And mm -hmm. it just seems like she just takes everything in stride. It's weird. Or that I'm supposed to. I have to. I mean, do we think that she wants to be with Flag? Because that's I what think I got in this out version of it. She does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what yeah. I took, and that's why I think it, it. I think that's kind of the ultimate, the twist. 
at the end here. It's almost like oh, I'm not going to spoil. Um, it's going to go to uh, to Vince Gilligan's world again, but I'm not, I don't want to spoil the latest <laughs> season. Of the do it. Um, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> um, hey, still made a reference, so there you go. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I will say though that like that 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 is what I got out of it, and that and that the idea that she actually goes downstairs to greet Larry, something that we do not see, nope, is feels like that's a confirmation confirmation of that. Like I am here, and I'm proud of it. Yeah, so what we what happens here is the next morning, um, you know, in both the book and the 94 miniseries, Nadine has basically been turned into a shell. She is hollow. She exists only to deliver the baby that has been put in her belly. Here, Nadine has sort of been reimagined as very Marilyn Monroe-esque. She's very beautiful. She's very flawless and um, seems very accepting and happy with Randall Flagg um, after they have sort of consummated their relationship, although she does, you know, bristle a little bit at the, the feeling in her belly. And by the time of the end of the episode, when uh, yeah, Nadine goes downstairs and greets Larry, Glenn, and Ray as they enter the casino. Um, she not only has a full pregnant belly that is swarming with a beast, uh, her face is also kind of zombified in a weird way. Yeah. Um, I know that I think that this is probably uh, divisive, but I got to be honest, I kind of really like this. Um, maybe it's because it caught me off guard um, and maybe because it brought out something new in Amber Heard's that. To me, at least, she it actually was the most spark and most like life I've seen in her this entire series was that she's delivery supposed to of be vacant. <laughs> but she's not vacant at all. Like I don't know. That's right? I don't know where you're getting vacant from. Like that's she's vacant in the book in the '94 miniseries. Here she's not at all. She's what I like about it is that they're going the opposite direction and that she's been invigorated by this and that she is leaning into the mm -hmm. evil. Like the whole time she's been sort of like waffling. And I do agree with Jen a hundred percent that this character's arc has not been well written or well defined. But it almost feels like that morning after it's suddenly they've made a choice. She's yeah. made a choice. She is now happily in line and aligned with Randall flag and with new Vegas. And the character suddenly seems to have like life now. And so I kind of, that delivery of welcome to new Vegas when they arrive is to me, the most personality she's had this entire series. And so I think I appreciated the, uh, the boldness of the choice. And also like, it just feels like it gave Nadine some kind of purpose when she mm -hmm. hasn't really, well, not purpose, because she's had purpose, but some kind of, like, something to latch on to. Agency. Yeah, uh, yeah agency. Jen, what uh, were you going to say? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I first of all, all I could think was, I can't wait till the next episode when Edward has to turn her into a vampire because the baby has burst out of her like, <laughs> in Breaking Dawn, because that's all I could think yeah. about when I saw that. But I think I was thinking, Randall, what you just said about her making a choice. I, like, I don't know if she has made, I think she has made one choice, but she doesn't understand the choice she's making and that's why she has to be stuck in this delusion and Randall has to keep her stuck in this delusion sorry flag has to and it reminded me of it follows which I'm not going to spoil it but there's an argument for consent like yes you are consenting to this act this sex but you don't if you don't understand the full implications of what this sex is going to lead to you're not consenting to that because the moment when the sex turns scary i will say um she says something's wrong something's wrong yeah. and that's when he's like i read it as him being burned but um and it's like she, she yes she wanted to be his wife 
but he is still manipulating because he never told her what it was going to do to her. And, and that's why I think I like the book ending so much more is because she finally realizes this and she's not proud. And it's not like mm-hmm. a Rosemary's Baby kind of yeah. moment. She's like horrified, kind of like Harold is. Like this is what has become of me because I was taken in by this person. You know? Yeah, I really like Monster. that. I think that's very true. And I think almost when I was... Like that made me re rethink what I said. And I think the concept of choice, it's more so like, I think I'm thinking of Amber Heard, like mm-hmm. the actor's choice. Ah, uh, yeah. And uh-huh. the, yes. the concept yeah. that she finally made, like the actor made this choice that she is like, okay, I am now, or at least it all clicked for her as an actress. And I think that's why it's it worked for me. But I think what you're saying that I really like is, yeah, there. It's not cons- like the sex is consensual until it's not, and it's not yes. at the end of that. And so I think what emerges at the next morning is not Nadine as we've known her. Mm-hmm. It is, I think that it's a different version of that concept that she is now dead, that the old vi- version of Nadine is dead. And this is some version that has been molded by Randall Flagg and is mm-hmm. now sort of his plaything, um, which is, you know, obviously fucked up. But to me, it at least crystallizes this character that has been so amorphous and so like, you know, free-floating and not, to me, well-written throughout this entire series that I think I just enjoyed the fact that they said, okay, you are now on the side of Randall Flagg. And the Mm -hmm. concept of, like, and what we don't get in the book is we don't, I don't believe any of the people who show up in New Vegas, i.e., you know, Ralph, Larry, Glenn, they never see anybody from Boulder in New Vegas. And Mm -hmm. that gentle texture right there, like, because I was thinking a lot about, like, if I was thinking previously, if Harold makes it to New Vegas, it would be so cool for them to see him in this Mm -hmm. world, to to see this character in this new light. And so now I kind of love that we're seeing, they get to see Nadine in this entirely new light, which feels like an entirely, like, almost missed opportunity from... um, from the book in the 94 miniseries because the Nadine arc kind of ends pretty quickly after, you know, this whole situation. And I imagine we'll see that next week. I guess that's my problem is like, I want to, I want to be on board with that Randall. And I see, I see what you're saying, especially about the actor, but to make for the events to unfold the way that they are going to, how does that happen when, well, this it'll probably be something like different. Yeah. Sentient. It might be. Well, and I. And, and maybe they will, but like if they if they don't, then this doesn't work at all. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, I mm-hmm. guess I'm 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 kind of waiting. If they go if they go a totally different route with it, cool. Because then then I then I'm more on board. But I I guess because I I'm I, I'm thinking I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So this choice doesn't make sense if they're supposed to have a choice where they're cognizant and do something that's not. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't want to blow it, but. Yeah. Mike, what were you going to say? I think the choice is certainly on just uh, the choice that you're talking about is not so much on Nadine. It is on the creators. And I think that they pretty much stress the fact that she is a totally different Nadine with the most obvious on the nose needle drop, which when they use like <laughs> Man, screaming Jay Hawkins. I, I was laughing out loud. I couldn't wait to be on this oh episode. God. Like, that because it's just, it's so, <laughs> it's so like me? she's possessed, like, you know, by using this old, you know, 1956 song that I put a spell on you. But like, and I think that confirms the idea that it isn't Nadine's choice and it isn't Nadine really there. But I, but I agree with you, Randall, in the sense that like, at least she's doing something like she uh-huh. has some sort of trajectory. And I still think you could have that fate Mac that you're talking about because, you know, maybe she does have like a whiplash thing where she's just like, you know, maybe she sees Larry 
you know, when, you know, whatever they do with Larry, no, but whenever she, maybe she sees Larry being locked up or some shit like that happens Mm -hmm. in the next episode. And that's when she ultimately does the, has the fate that we're, that we know her for. I personally hope that we have something different because that's kind of what I've been hoping all along for this entire series is to see some, you know, zigs when it should have zagged. So I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that Nadine keeps, keeps staying this spelled Nadine just because it's just more interesting that way. I don't. I don't we want. We only I, get. I, yeah. We only get like two minutes with her in the next episode, and what happens happens. I'm gonna be like, what? Right. Yeah. I'm glad they. I'm glad they gave her something to do with one minute left of her screen right. time. Like, I don't know. It just to me, it just wasn't. It's like it's a lot. It, it, even if you're gonna give her credit for for that, the two second scene at the end of this episode it doesn't undo anything and it's certainly not going to help in the next episode, but we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say I, I like the idea that she is seeing the facade of what flag has promised. And at the end, we see the reality of what mm-hmm. that is and how that really kind of sucks you dry. Although I will say I, when they, he sent her down to meet them, I was like, why? And I forgot that she knew them because mm-hmm. they've had so little yeah. interaction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I did, true. she has the best, uh, just got laid outfit. Ever, <laughs> I was. It reminded me of Ron Swanson wearing his red shirt. You know, after yeah. he gets laid. I, I will say uh, well, the, did, the way they, well. yeah, because the way they do the execution of that scene is fucking awesome. Because you see her reflection in the elevator. She has the normal face. There's nothing really changed too much about her body other than what we've already seen. And then the the patience they have of showing that final reveal is awesome. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I thought the and I like, was- and you can see like the rat woman and the other guy are like, Holy freaked shit. out by her. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I like, read what? if they're pro- if they have a problem with how you look, then um, yeah. So. Well, was that even heard at the end though? Because it <laughs> yes. doesn't, she's so gaunt that it doesn't look, oh, I, don't I don't know how they did. I don't know. I felt like it was like, when I saw her, I felt like other than the pregnancy, which is alarming because something's going on down there, you know, like trying like moving around and stuff already. I felt like she walked off like a WB Halloween episode, like the way that makeup See, was on her face. Oh, like, I, I kind of like it was that I, effective. I, I texted Mike about this. I kind of liked it because it to me, it felt very king. It felt very like a little bit silly, but also kind of eerie and menacing, you know, like it was almost like Pennywise esque for me. Like there was something almost corny about it. But at the same time, I found it. They were they were committed to the bit enough that I found it kind of freaky. But I can see what you're saying, Mac. Like, but I guess I, I think that was just how yeah. I interpreted that. Yeah. No, but I, I think what I, I think what I was thinking was like that the people in the elevator were freaked out by the way she looked. But I think they were more creeped out by the demon baby like yeah. rolling around yeah. and being like yeah. active. And I think that that was probably disturbing and and whatnot. But well, yeah, I don't know. We'll see more of her next episode. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, some of the characters and, and the performances that we see in a section we call Mars and Scars. I saw you leaving. You bored with the sermon? <laughs> no, no, just not really my thing. Hmm. Can I give you a piece of friendly advice? Sure. Now, it's one thing to come into town and think you're too good for the people who live here. I don't know why you'd say that. I, I but, wouldn't. But being too good for God, well, that's another thing entirely. 
Welcome to Mars and Scars. This is the <laughs> section where we talk about James Marsden and Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, but before we talk about them, let's talk a little bit about the character we didn't discuss in the previous section, which is a little boy I like to call the trash can man. Uh, we get, he is sort of our entrance into this. We get a follow-up from the previous episode. And uh, I I kind of enjoyed this scene. Um, we basically see him getting the uh, A-bomb uh, from... <laughs> the military testing site as he shrieks like a banshee the entire time. I guess what I liked about it was we actually got to see the character, uh, his competency, like the mm. idea that this character knows very much what he's doing. And he has a surgical way of sort of retrieving this very sensitive bomb uh, from it. Uh, yes, he does shriek like a banshee throughout all of it, but I don't know, to be honest, I kind of like it. Uh, but yeah. What else did you, what did you guys think about uh, Ezra Miller's performance as, Crash can man. The birds are know. cool. <laughs> it was yeah. a, it was such a two second sequence of like what we've already kind of seen. Although I did we did get a better look at his right side of his face, mm -hmm. which was really mauled by flame. Yeah. I thought that 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 makeup work was cool. I thought that looked interesting, but um, yeah, the, it was just like the kind of like in the like constant screech in the back like was unsettling. <laughs> but I don't know if I was unsettled because I'm supposed to be unsettled by it because it's trash. Or if I was just like, I just don't want to hear this anymore. It also, um, looked, it also looked like some of his, um, like you could see his burned like arms. And it looked yeah. like he had yeah. tattoos there that had been like burned off, which I thought was mm. kind of a cool touch. I like that too. Yeah, there's an implied history with that. And, you know, certainly Ezra runs with that because, you know, he's, he's a serious actor. Um, <laughs> but here's the question Why I have. He, yeah, go ahead. Did you actually pull that thing up? Like, this, it seems that a little pretty heavy. The fucking be, yeah. See his arms, man? He's got some arms on him. Hey, yes, Ezra's ripped, you know? They were also yeah. playing ACDC's big guns in the background from mm. Last Action Hero. Oh, were they really? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. They weren't, they weren't, but I would have been on board. Uh, Jen, any trash thoughts? Yeah, I got a lot of trash <laughs> thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I, because I really want to like what he's doing, and Randall, kind of what you're saying, like, I, I, there's part of this that I really dig. Um, I have a really hard time with Ezra Miller because I think he is a really great actor and I loved him in We Need to Talk About Kevin and I liked him in the Stanford Prison Experiment. Um, oh, yeah. But he is so, like, the things that are problematic with him in his personal life, I have a really hard time engaging with him. Any performances he has, I'm not saying anybody else has to feel that way. I'm just saying right. personally, that is my, my, the lens that I see him through. And so to have him playing this character in this way that I do think is ableist and I do think is kind of slightly queer coded. And if we had longer than 10 minutes with him on screen, I think we would be able to see, because I was listening to the last episode and Randall, I heard you talk about some of the nuances that we see. And I think that's there, but I think it, when it's just so fast. I was being just... very charitable. <laughs> you were. Well, and the you thing is like, if we, had an... <laughs> well, if we had an episode with him, we would see a lot more of that, but what yeah. we do, what we're blinded by the screaming, you know, and I just read the chapter in the book where he's introduced and he's introduced with a lot of humanity mm -hmm. and they talk about a lot about his life experiences and actually like him a lot more than I like Lloyd in the book, at least so far on this read. Um, and so it's just to have this actor that I have a hard time with and this character the way that he's bringing this character to life, it, it's just really, really hard for me. And it makes me really mad because I do dig the, um, the look, you know, and yeah, I like the, look the, is cool. 
and I like the unhinged quality. I just it, it's I just can't quite get myself there. Also, so many crotch shots in yeah. this like four well, minute span. And that's where oh, I I come in give, with the got to give the people what they want. Well, well you know, true. and I, and I, I do mean, want to see that with that. Ezra, <laughs> you know. But and Ezra Miller is you know certainly you know doesn't shy away. But um, one of the things I had a problem with, and you know, I wasn't on last week's episode, but we we discussed this in our Discord was um, the idea that like Hollywood has this tendency that when they're like, all right, and it's fairly recent, I feel, and maybe not too recent, but in the last, certainly in the last 20 years, and that when you ever have, you know, one of the more fringe characters that tends to be a villain that maybe skews a little more anti-hero, it's always this like, uh, you know, gender fluid, uh, almost asexual, but also more like leaning effeminate that, like you're saying, queer coded in the way that when you think about that in relation to everything we discussed uh, with episode five, with the introduction to Vegas, it's again, it's like villainizing of like any sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, queerness. And mm-hmm. it, it bothers me. And it's not just with this series. It's all across like Hollywood. Like anytime you see any fucking char- like character that's supposed to be, you know, quote unquote weird or crazy. Like Jared Leto does it with the fucking Joker. And oh, yeah. that thing is, it just like drives me nuts. It's just like, Ooh, I want to lean into my effeminate te- te- you know, tendencies and also be, you know, uh, you know, suggestively pansexual. And it's just like, okay. So, but that's your point of view for being villain. Like it just right. seems so fucking, and it's just annoying to me. Yeah. It's like, it's a thing that it drives me nuts in Hollywood, but you know, I think there's two things that, we should have seen in this adaptation is like having a lot of like representation in Boulder, which we don't mm-hmm. see any. Yeah, yeah. Right. I agree. Like, why wouldn't you just do that? But hell, make a main character switch mm-hmm. the, you know what I mean? Like we don't, we, it's time yeah. and they don't do any of that. Yeah. And then also like, I think a really strong decision that they should have made was like, if you, if you want to kind of shy away slash make this thing really interesting is like, have people of like multiple faiths yes have seen mother abigail and, yeah. and or having a brief conversation about how there's like multiple faiths there that all saw this so it's like it's not you know so that you're not saying okay well it's 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 christianity it's like no like everyone saw us across the board so it shakes up everything you know what i mean like mm. I, I'm like why did just one scene where you have like a couple of three three or four different faces like actually like talking about like well yeah. we're all here but we're all from different walks and like this just goes to show how clo- how sim- more similar we are than we think we are when you go to like what a great message that would be for denominations and and organized religion which is you know very fraught with problems yeah, yeah. Well, and that goes to presenting such a complex story in such a short time and that's something mm-hmm. like for my day job I do a lot of research and I end up having to write like two or three sentences about like pages of stuff that I've learned and so the struggle is like they're they're assuming that we understand all of these things but they're not showing those things and you just can't assume that all of your viewers are going to come with the knowledge of the book or they're going to come with an open mind and give you the benefit of the, of the doubt for these things because all of all you're showing could very easily be read as offensive and you're not showing anything else you know and if I think if we had even like 18 episodes like Mm -hmm. I think there's more time to show all of that we just don't have time you have to show the essence of the plot and so you just lose all of the nuance that adds context I mean there's just so it's just such the source material is just so ripe 
to have so many seasons on. I mean, like we've, again, it goes back to the first yeah. episode that we discussed and that, you know, some felt that there wouldn't be five seasons worth and some didn't, you know, some agreed that I think we ultimately agreed on like three seasons would be enough, but like, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's like, I wish we saw more of their walk. Well, yeah, that mm-hmm. could have been like the back half of like season three or season two or something like that. Like there's just so much there. And like, just think of all the stories you could tell. Like, yeah, you're right, Mac. Like, it would have been fucking awesome if we had a bottle episode with just residents of Boulder and what they're mm-hmm. doing and mm-hmm. like little things where you can kind of see that would also tie back to King's work where you actually see stuff that happens in Boulder, you know, with all the yeah. deaths and how yeah. they died and all that. So yeah. it would have actually been really spiritually tied to King's work. So it's just the possibilities and the, 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 the potential that you see is something that I'm, is always going to be the, the, the biggest takeaway of this series. It's just that you have, you have the tools, you have the talent, <laughs> but I think that's something that works like and they do that in the first episode you know I mean they do a lot of boulder stuff in the first episode mm-hmm. and, and and just like showing the, the cleanup crews and all that yeah. stuff mm-hmm. and 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 then they're, they're present a lot but they don't really do no. much with them or, or develop any of the other characters like you know like Susan Stern and like all these other like quote-unquote arbitrary people like you still have you have nine episodes to build up some of these other people that could have died in the house that we would care yes. about, but you still don't do that. But they did that in the miniseries and was more effective. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like when they start naming the people that died, you're like, oh yeah, I remember them from this episode right. that's only an hour and a half long, <laughs> uh-huh. and you care. Like why couldn't we do that over the course of nine episodes or or seven episodes? You couldn't have us like connect with a little bit more people in Boulder. I don't know. Anyways, maybe we're getting off the point, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about who else in this episode stood out. Mike, you, you talked about Marsden, um, you know, sort of, I don't know, becoming, because I think, you know, I, I called Marsden serviceable, I believe, in the first episode. <laughs> he did. He's, he a, did. He's, a, he's a workman-like actor for me. He's, he's very good looking, and he knows how to deliver lines in a way that, uh, you know, approximates humanity. But I do agree... <laughs> I do agree that he is very good in this episode. And I really did by like, I think like that's one thing that you can count on with Stu. That is the quality that you need to get from him is that he is almost, he is a calming presence in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Yeah. He exudes leadership and he exudes um, control. And I think all of those things are really important for that character. And I think they like, he, there's an ease to that character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Sinise was able to obviously grab um, with a bit more gravitas, but I do think Marston is able to capture as well. I really do feel like in that scene specifically, um, the sort of confidence that he was able to, like the, the confidence he was able to imbue Stu with in this moment of fraught tension, I think worked really well. And then he was also balancing it with the pain, obviously, because they had to, you know, yank his leg and everything. And well, so I do that too. I mean, they, they wisely yeah. build towards that moment because as you mentioned before, those, that scenes with Franny is great. And, and, mm-hmm. and you really get that, it's like the first moment in this entire series where you actually buy their relationship. And a lot of it's, because Oh, I disagree. I've, I've, I've bought them earlier. I, 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 but, but ultimately get the feeling of the tension mm-hmm. between them because before you're like, okay, yeah, well, we know that they're supposed to be together And this one. I, I really did actually feel the emotional pull um, in ways I hadn't before. And, and I love how she keeps, you know, prodding him. Like you need to swear, you need to swear. And he ultimately mm-hmm. just says like, well, I'll swear I'll try. I'll, I'll try my hardest to make it back. And that's the best he can do. And that, that, that way that he's supposed to calm her down 
is such a nice foreshadowing of ultimately how he's going to have to do that with the rest of the three in the in that canyon. And so I don't know. I think Marsden hasn't really been able to do much in this series besides the first episode, which at the, I think at the, in that point we also said he was more like a video game character where he's just walking <laughs> people with exposition. Um, but with this one, he, I, I you know he gets some agency and he runs with it. Like I think the best way I said it before is just he has that hero muscle to flex, and he yeah. doesn't flex it enough where we think he's a superhero. I just think he's a regular everyday guy that can can maybe you know bring some light and find some answers, and that's Stu. So, you know. Yeah, I think Jovan Adepo had some good moments as well, especially in that exchange with Stu when he keeps getting him to say, you know, I shall fear no evil. I like that Larry only sort of begrudgingly gets there, you know, like when he yeah. when Stu kind of forces him to repeat it to the point where he actually means it. Larry doesn't have that big moment where he's just like, I shall fear no evil. You know, it's just a, it's a very quiet sort of like. I'm doing this to pacify you, but maybe you're getting through to me just a little bit, you know? And it's like, there is sort of this grudging sort of acceptance of it. And, and also this sort of realization, he's like, in this moment, I do need to be that person. I do need to say, I shall fear no evil because I am not the leader. And I thought, so I thought that was some really nice, subtle acting from him in that. I did enjoy Larry in this episode and in that moment. Although I have, it really pisses me off when people try to make me say things. And it reminded me of that moment in Scream 2 where the, the professor is like, say I'm a fighter, say I'm a fighter, and keeps making her say it. I'm like, shut the fuck up. So that, part, <laughs> that part bugged me a little bit. But the thing that I was, the thing that I was struck by here was, and I think it's where the decision to have young hot Greg Kinnear play Glenn is kind of failing the story a little bit because he seems like he's the same age as Stu. Yeah. And I was thinking that, I was like, this Glenn probably should be the leader because he's the one who's like kind of more resourceful. And that's where I think, it, like, and when he was falling down the ravine, I was like, he doesn't look like no. he's old and feeble at all. And I think that was the problem I was having. Although I will say, I wouldn't want somebody else because I love Greg Kinnear in this role. I just think, that changes the dynamic of the relationship and they didn't really account for that in the story. Absolutely. I, I really wish, agree with that. Yeah. I kind of wish Kojak was the reason why he like fell, like Kojak <laughs> fell into him or something. And uh, yeah, cause I didn't, I didn't quite buy that either. And I, I do love Greg Kinnear and I think he's doing a good job, but I think there's certain things they could have done better in that sense. Um, Were they and, Richard Jenkins? As, as it would have been great. Yeah, that was who we cast, good. wasn't it? I think it was. I think it was, our, that or, yeah. it was either him or Father Callahan. I can't remember. But um, I do yeah. like the the photo they take at the beginning, and Glenn's got the pen in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, when <laughs> I that was taken. What that was? That was like a pirate knife or something. When that was taken, I, I was the like same thing too for a second. I was like, we're definitely not going to see that and be sad later. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Yeah. It's, like it's the, not going like, to be like shown the, in the, sepia. The, the, the Polaroid that's taken it or whatever the picture, you know? Okay. I, I know exactly how this is going to end based on that photograph. So Stu, <laughs> let's just say that Stu comes back. I'm not going to spoil anything, but let's just say Stu does arrive back to Boulder. You know, he's going to be cleaning up his office and, and uh, you know, the, the sun's cleaning up down his and all of a sudden like oh, Franny God. comes and is like oh you want me to make you a sandwich he's like no no I'm good <laughs> and he like goes and sits down and he like opens up the, the, his, the you know, drawer. his drawer and he sees the photo and all of a sudden Ennio Morricone's death theme starts playing <laughs> and then he goes Franny Glenn would have wanted you to have this he would have wanted a <laughs> cop to have this <laughs> And then he's gonna walk outside in a, in, in a you know, the the Boulder Press guy is gonna be like, Stu, you got back. How, how do you feel? 
I think I'm gonna have they a said, drink. They said the, they said they're gonna reappeal the plague. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do then? <laughs> That's a reference to um, Brian De Palma's The Untouchables. Uh, oh seen God! Um, I knew you. Were, I knew you were going. Yeah, <laughs> right away. You know. uh, before we move on, any other characters we want to call out for having a you know a stand up bang up performance in this episode? We already mentioned it. I wanted to throw Ray's name out. I thought she got the most to do finally in this, and I, I, I dug it. I thought it would, there were some funny moments, and I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, they let her have a little bit of fun. Um, I, I also want to put a shout-out for Kojak. Uh, good yeah. dog. Good dog doing a good performance. Oh, Randall, did any, did, did any of you guys think that when he heard the dog and the dog came up over the, the cliff that he was going to be like, you're not Kojak. And it's going to be huge. Oh. It was like Kojak wearing like sunglasses and like a white dress. And it's oh like, my God. flag got to you, Kojak. I Here's what I thought was going to happen. You, That's <laughs> my, I, they, we hear the put on spell on you needle drop again. again. Oh, and God. you realize that flag has turned Kojak into Kooch. Here's what I no, thought was going to happen. Think, just like, no, not I did Kujo. think. I did think that I wanted to get Reynolds' take on this though, but like Stu throws a rock at Kojak, and I didn't like that. <laughs> what <do you> think? <laughs> that was the cheetah that? ending. That was like, go away, go away, get cheetah. We can't. Yeah, this is boy. for the best. Okay, here's what I thought was going to happen though. I thought instead of handing him like the the pills, I thought Glenn was going to give him the Polaroid. He was like, just just click it, and you click it once, and you see like something off in the distance, and you click it again, and the picture is like closer and closer and closer, and you realize that it's Kojak coming closer and closer oh. and closer, and that's what. <laughs> brings him to the ravine saving him because he is the son kojak i love that it is, it's funny that you mentioned that because i did have the polaroid in king's did Dominion. you have it in 213 mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 237 uh that's fun um let's talk about some of the stuff we liked and maybe hated in this episode in a section we call dreamscapes and nightmares or nightmares and dreams if you think your dreams are disturbing <laughs> Imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. (laughs) Welcome to Dreamscapes and Nightmares, the section where we talk about (laughs) the dreams and the nightmares of this uh, episode. Um, Uh... uh, I, I wrote, how about that? Vegas looks normal. Uh, I was just really happy in that final <laughs> that final shot where it was just a Vegas where there was just people milling about. There was cocktail waitresses. There was uh, bellboys. Like, I kind of enjoyed that. I kind of like this idea that the city was up and running in ways that Boulder wasn't. And they were really trying to sort of recapture the pre uh, the pre-pandemic days, as you might say, and uh, and also that there just weren't half-naked queer people fucking <laughs> every frame of it. Uh, so I don't know. I really, I actually, it was very satisfying to see a Vegas that uh, you know wasn't primed with like an eighty-year-old man's idea of what is evil. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought we were gonna maybe because you know when they started showing some of the things outside and they showed like the girl on the monitor, I actually thought. Oh, are we gonna like see like some families here and stuff? You know what I mean? See the, some mm-hmm. of the stuff in Vegas that we never get to see. Nah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I did like seeing. I did like seeing just like actual Vegas instead of just like the interior of that one yeah. hotel. You know, yeah. where you're like, okay, well, is this actually? You know, are we here? Yeah. Uh, um, other dreamscapes from this episode. Things you really enjoyed, Mike. Montage. Loved it. Um, yeah. As we discussed already, I thought the Radiohead needle job. One of the best needle drops of uh, the series so far. Um, just some great, great shots that we already uh, discussed also. But um, 
it just really like I don't know hammers down to the cinema uh, <laughs> the cine- <laughs> cinematic nature of this series versus uh, even of the ninety four miniseries, which I think is pretty cinematic in itself. But um, you know, they really it was they had a they had a very high bar mm-hmm. to hit. Because those scenes when they do actually walk to Vegas in the original one are pretty impacting, and WF uh, or you know w- Snuffy Walden's Snuffy score, score is, is un- pretty excellent, unbelievable yeah. in that. But I thought it was great, and you really can't can't get any higher than uh, my boy Tom York. I just love hearing <laughs> his voice. So yeah, no, I uh, I'll echo that. I I thought the the montage was pretty great, and I I actually really thought the music choice was pretty perfect. Mm-hmm. You know? um, yeah. um, trying to think of other. Jen, other, anything you enjoyed particularly this episode? Yeah, I got two that are actually related to the both of the things we just talked about. I loved the um, montage as Harold was, as the Harold was reading his letter, actually mm-hmm. Larry reading it. But I loved mm-hmm. like just all of the scenes of like what he's leaving behind. Yeah. And I thought that was just really well done. And it was the rejection letter, I think, was the last thing. And I just liked that, that acknowledgement that this is what has all led to Harold. And I mean, not that they're letting him off the hook. And right. actually, I liked that they're saying that in a moment where they're not letting him off the hook for all of yep. that. But I liked yep. that. And I also, I loved uh, when they pull up to the casino, baby, can you dig your man is playing yes. and yes. i will say i have yes. on record as hating that song from the very beginning of the time i've read this book and i think they did a really great job of rewriting it and yeah. i think it sounds really cool and i love that it's playing there as they come in i think that's a real kind of fuck you move to larry yes. you know? i loved it yeah, that's a burn and it yeah. sounds I wish we had it seen sounds him like kind of realize it too it sounds mm-hmm. like a real hit song too like, it does I, actually, I hear that and i'm yeah. like that is a song that would be big on the radio like i absolutely exactly. buy that Yep. Yeah. What does that say? You know, <laughs> <laughs> hey, this song's not bad. You know, yep. I'm gonna, hey, I'm drop gonna the single. This. Hey, this song ain't half bad. We got a house band here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't um, know if this is a dreamscape necessarily or a nightmare, but I I thought it was kind of a neat touch that I didn't notice until my uh, second watch. But you quickly see that there is an RF carved into Nadine's leg. Oh, uh, interesting. I, I saw that, that, but I didn't yeah. catch what it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. It, Good it's, catch. I thought. All I could think of was the, uh, <laughs> what's it called? The, the HBO doc. Wait, which one? Oh, Nexium. Nexium. The, yeah. oh, Nexium. Nexium. <laughs> the, the I was like, I was like, was there, is there a point to this? Is she going to like property burn that yeah. off of her in the next step? And then that's yeah. what, like, like, is that the spell? <laughs> like, that's I, what happened why to do this? I, like no forever. one else has this. Like, I don't know. I thought that was weird. I thought it was an eerie yeah. touch. I kind of liked it. Um, any nightmares, any things uh, that you that you really hated in this episode that we haven't had a chance to touch on yet? I mean, I talked about the needle drop for Radiohead, and I also talked already about the, uh, the Scream of Jay Hawkins um, spell on you. It is a little too on the nose for me. I think in it's, it's not awful. <laughs> it's not It's not awful, but it just felt, you know, after just hitting a home run, or, I should, dare I say Grand Slam with Radiohead. <laughs> This is just, uh, this is taking, this is like bases loaded and you hit like a, f- like, the, you know, you hit too many foul balls and then you get, and then you get stuck out. You know what they thought? They thought we haven't, we haven't really gotten the Hocus Pocus focus group yet. So let's yeah. just put, put it on you in here. Let's do it. They've been asking for it every episode. Let's do it. Right. Well, what if that uh, Mac? No, yeah, I didn't. I didn't dig. I didn't dig that. But I did dig. Baby, can you dig your man? I did um, too. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's but what if I, didn't, but I really to, didn't like? But to, uh. to go into the hocus pocus thing, let's just say that 
what if Nadine, after the God. sex, uh, she came out and it was Bette Midler in the Hocus Pocus wardrobe, like, and we we're supposed to th- that's Nadine for the rest of the the, the series at this point. Weirdest like, crossover ever. Oh, okay, but here's promising a sequel forever. But it's an ode that's to McGarris. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess it is an ode to McGarris. Yeah. yeah. Here's the uh, thing that really bugged me about that needle drop, though, is that it starts before we've left Stu. Like, mm-hmm. we're having Stu, he had this really poignant moment, and he's stuck by himself now, and then we're still seeing him, and then there's this really jarring, like, bonky needle drop, and it was just really... What if, what if Stu had just been, who's playing Screaming Jay Hawkins? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ojax, starts you? dancing. Yeah. Yeah. A, a dream Ojax's got a boombox wanna... in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, it's like in his teeth, like... Yeah. Aww. Is that a talk boy? Well, that's something I would have liked if they if they showed up at Vegas and they did show Kujak there as Kuj, like he's like fully embraced like Vegas life, you know, <laughs> sitting um, on a throne I with was, like a little. There like, was a crown dreamscape, hat. a dreamscape that I did miss that I forgot to mention was I do like that they keep showing. I'm laughing because it's silly, but it's in the book. I do like that they keep showing flag levitating because like that's yes. like the, one of the only things that he can do and he thinks he's hot shit and i do love that in the book how they play that up like he's really just kind of like this peon he's not the devil you know he's just like this he's just this fucking thing that like happens to be semi-evil you know and and that's like some of the only things that he can do and i love that because like it's just um it just kind of shows like he's just not as terrifying as like we sh- we're supposed to think he is because he's not, you know, he's, no. he's right. kind of, he, they, you know, we can fight this guy and the people have just been, you know, like, like Harold says, you know, he's been willingly misled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, another thing I liked was the, speaking of Harold is the payday. I just, I know you mentioned it earlier, but I think like oh, yeah. the, him eating the payday, I, as he was, you know, sitting there impaled, um, you know, on this hill and like preserving it, I thought like saving it, some of it for later, I thought was a nice way to show the passage of time. Like the idea yeah. that yeah. he is yeah. there for a long time and that he is like mm-hmm. still thinking clearly enough that he's like, okay, I'm trying to ration this out. Um, and also, I think just the it's a touch back to his old life. You know, I think the payday is sort of a represent. I wish they had kind of played it up a little bit earlier uh, that he does have this love for these because I think it would have been a poignant moment in terms of mm-hmm. thinking about who he used to be versus. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting to think how long they've been. I was trying to to imagine we're trying to scale out how much time had passed because, you know, when he does kill himself and when they do arrive, that's after the montage. So I have to imagine that it must have been weeks since his death by the time they arrive. I mean, his face is pretty much pecked off at that point. So clearly like the birds have been doing some work for a while. Mm -hmm. There's no stubble though. So there's no way to know. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I feel like I've got to, I got to watch it again. Cause I, I'm curious about what we were saying about the passage of time in like the montage of the walk as well. Yeah. Because I, I wasn't really keying in on like them changing, varying what they're wearing, even though they're only, supposed to be wearing one thing so it's kind of hard to notate the passage of time unless they are like is that hair thing but they obviously are I shaving wish they gave and stuff. Ray a huge beard so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um but yeah i i i i do think that that herald thing um they did pretty well yeah that um, was my yeah. biggest one any I other don't... any other nightmares yeah, kind of. It's kind of a nightmare and kind of a dreamscape. And I'm I'm Bring not going to be weird when I say that 
there was one scene that we've already talked about that I very much enjoyed in this episode, and it, it involves Alexander Skarsgård. And um, so, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. But the, <laughs> the, the trail of rose petals. Okay, the way that is laid out, because she walks in, and he's got his foot up on the table, and you see from behind, and the trail of rose petals looked like it was going straight to his dick. <laughs> like, oh, my God. And that's really well, what I mean, the point know. of this is. So, but I just, it's like a little yeah, on the yeah. nose. And then you see the front of him and you realize that's not it. But I was like, oh my God. Love it. And I had a, one more dreamscape, yeah. actually. Sorry. I'm just, I just keep thinking. I do love, I love that little moment, that, that little dialogue between uh, Glenn and Stu. Yeah. When he says, uh, you know, when he's like, yeah, I didn't really, we didn't have a real, a real connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I didn't, I didn't mean it when I said it. You know, I, I like that little interplay. I thought that was fun. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, let's move on to a spookier part of the show. A little section we call the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human. Oh. Ooh, it's cold in the cemetery, it is isn't it? <laughs> it's chilly. I just put on another jacket. Well, here in the cemetery, we like to discuss things that uh, gave us the creeps, as you might say. Uh, we've touched on some of it, but I think we would all kind of agree that, good lord, the Harold's uh, buzzarded, pecked off face was horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Like, that was also probably sad. The- that's up there with tube neck in terms of the really, really sort of visceral, physical transformations, the gore effects that this, that they invested in in this show. Uh, I found I genuinely recoiled. And um, I'm somebody who these days I, I, I'm not too put off by things like that, but genuinely recoiled when I saw his face um, after the buzzards away from it so very effective and i love what you said earlier mike about the kind of dual faces or was that you mike Somebody yeah the, said the, that. the idea that he he's been wearing a face this entire mm-hmm. time yeah and i like it's that gone it's gone so, I, yeah. I do want to yeah, i you know smart. we've we've teased this a lot but and i've i've shit on vegas for well one episode i wasn't the last week's but for the the ultimately the first introduction to it i certainly did not like but man, this one really chilled the bones. Like I, I, I thought like seeing the empty streets with the sirens and the video was really chilling. Like you don't really, really get to hear what Glenn says. Like you don't really get to hear what Flag is saying. It's just like this mumbling tone that's like, "Moon, you want to say?" And 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 I thought it was really eerie and unnerving because it reminded me of like, if anyone's seen Twin Peaks: The Return, there's a scene where you go back to Johnny Horn. And Richard's attacking him. And it's a very terrifying scene. But throughout the entire scene, his toy bear is just consistently intoning the same fucking line again and again. And you don't really even like you can kind of hear it. And then sometimes it starts getting mumbled. And then it's just it's just the repetition coupled with that sort of like surreal, dreamy element that I just thought it was it nailed really well. And even like the the menace of the fact that they are going into there's just there's no escaping it and knowing that it's this oasis in the middle of nowhere is, yeah. I don't know. It really got me. It got me in a ways that I was surprised. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree 100%. I thought the the depiction of Vegas here was the best it's been. The empty streets, uh, the you know, all of those things. And just the fact that he had like a kid on his uh, lap as he was talking, yeah. it was very eerie to me. And it made me wish that earlier in the series we had seen sort of flag the propagandist, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, the like we only get to really see that one moment where he addresses everybody and it's so corny where he's like they said you weren't allowed to like sex and you know it's like come on like i would have much rather seen sort of what propaganda is he feeding these people in terms of what he's promising them and what he is saying new vegas is versus what it really is this little section where they drive through there said so much more about vegas than we've learned Mm -hmm. at all so far up until this point uh and i love the idea of them refashioning these statues in his image um that's you know a very eerie thing that is very biblical that i think is uh is very unnerving and something i enjoyed a lot i thought it was a little bit much that just people beating up a random man in the street but But that was kind of what i liked i mean in a scary way because it reminded me of the purge you know i was thinking is this what he is promising and this is like the way that he is exerting control and yeah like what you said i wish we had seen more of that because i remember the first preview we saw we heard some of that speech and i was like well that's kind of compelling although equating sex with violence i'm not sure i'm down with but like i i wanted to it's what you keep saying like i want to see why somebody will want to go to vegas and i think here we saw a little bit of that it's like licensed to be brutal and to hurt other people you know god it would have been so much more effective if they did model flag off of like greg stilson yeah in the sense of like especially you know during trump's reign yeah, I would have um, liked to would... see Flag more as, like, the politician, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. all those aspects. Like, I just feel like I wanted to see him lord over people a little bit more, you know? That would have been... He's almost like a total recluse. Yeah. Um, well, I guess he is in he many isn't... ways. He only shows up on, like, the big stages stuff. You it's know? true. He's not really, like, a man about town. Yeah, like, he's like... he's like that in the book, too. You're right, Mac. It's like, yeah. he's he's not in in with the people but at the same time i wish we could have seen just a few more moments where he or at least lloyd like just see show us the propaganda show us what they're telling them you know uh but so i feel like this was kind of the best depiction we got of that and i also found it very eerie mike i think sort of the empty streets and that shot of the lone wolf you know and the the road Mm -hmm. was was very effective to me i like that a lot any other spooky moments things that freak you out Harold's face right before yep. Nadine leaves really freaked me out when he's yelling. It's just Owen Teague's like plastic face, you know, with the blood all over it. And just and that the thought of just being stuck there and, you know, for sure nobody is coming. Mm-hmm. It just kind of haunts me. Yeah, the leg too for me. I think uh, a good yeah. leg crack will always get me and make me scream a little bit when I'm watching something. And I thought, you know, that the sound effect was like perfectly timed, and then sort of building it up to uh, yanking the leg uh, straight was was you know, I think scenes like that we see them all the time in art, in horror, and things like that. But it it never fails to get me, and I thought this was a very well done version of that. I was definitely flinching in ways that um, I think were very effective. So yeah, I. I- I agree with you, Randall. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote down that. Yeesh, Stu's <laughs> leg is really effed up. I was like, worried that yikes, they were going to do the really fingernail well. peeling back, though, because I think they oh, mentioned yeah. that in the book. Ugh, just, I hate uh, that. Stuck with me. Ooh. Drives me crazy. Yeah. No, they do. Right. That does happen in the book, and it is so, <laughs> so gross. I hate oh, that shit. Any fingernail stuff, ear stuff. That's the stuff that always gets me. Or bones poking through skin, which we see a little bit too with Stu. That always freaks me out. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Anything else before we move on to uh, King's Dominion? Just that I put a spell on you, Needle Drop. (laughs) Frightening. (laughs) 
Well, what was the needle drop at the very end? What was the the song over the credits? Um, do you not do you remember something? Uh, I just couldn't remember. I it, hey, if I can't remember it, it was a good needle drop. <laughs> it was bad to the bone. Um, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> and they Welcome just, it's just instead of instead of showing like all the stuff that they show at the end, it's just a close up on Stu's broken bones. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, he's got bad on bones. that note let's pivot over to King's Dominion there's another world out there I know there is Welcome to King's Dominion. Here we talk about the Easter eggs, things that are buried in this episode that relate to the larger world of Stephen King or even uh, things in the stand that maybe we aren't getting the full uh, exploration of. Do we have anything? Did anybody see any King's Dominion in this episode? The only one was this, Just... the, the Polaroid that the generator made a joke over. That's the yeah, only thing sorry. I thought of with the sundog. <laughs> that was, I, I really did scan everything to see if I could see something. But I... Yeah, yeah. I, I think the only... Also, Jen mentioned as well was that um, that camera shot that was very much like the opening of the mm-hmm. miniseries. That was kind of a fun nod to the miniseries. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The only other one I had. I think of anything. Uh, and this is here's the thing. I didn't see any King's Dominion, so I wrote down that. Oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> that Randall Flag owns a bottle of Crystal Skull vodka. Uh, Dan Aykroyd's. Oh. I just noticed that he had the vodka that is shaped like a skull. And I said, there's only one person who sells that. And his name is Dan Aykroyd. So Dan Aykroyd exists in the world of the stand. And he's and in he's New Vegas. Vegas. Vodka. If, if Dan Aykroyd I think exists. It, I think we all agree that Dan Aykroyd would go to New Vegas. Yeah. Hold on. But does that mean that we... Muncher exists? Yes. yes. Does that mean that Muncher there... <laughs> would exist in this world? Has it? Yeah. Is it? Is it been shelved or has it come out? Do we think Muncher's Dominion? The Ghostbusters <laughs> movie has come out yet in this universe. I'm going to say yes. Because I want to believe that oh. Muncher. If you don't know what we're talking about, a new character from <laughs> Ghostbusters, a new character from Ghostbusters Afterlife was revealed on the internet last week. His name is Muncher. He is blue. He looks a, like a mix of the Marshmallow Man and Slimer. It's the and, laziest uh, fucking character design. Just, he's got, weird, he's got like multiple arms. He looks kind of like weird centipede ass. Well, we spent um, we spent a good three hours last night coming up with variations of his voice, which included uh, J- uh, Jack Nicholson at one point. Uh, I think we did Jimmy Stewart. Uh, we were trying to and, do... Um, and then no impression at all, just a no, regular voice. Yeah, right. just a regular standalone voice. was like, Muncher. So the bit here is that we love Muncher. The losers love Muncher. He is, <laughs> is, is lazy. It is so lazy that we can't help but be obsessed with this wild little guy. And we would love to believe that he shows up sometime in the next two episodes of The Stand. Uh, maybe he's Keeping on Mother Abigail's side. Who knows? Keeping their uh, eyes yeah. peeled. I mean, I think Muncher is chaotic energy. He can go anywhere he wants. So right. he's, like he's, kid. <laughs> he's like the kid. He's like, oh my god, what if Muncher played the kid? He's oh working both sides. Then, then I would totally buy this trash can man. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it, what if, yeah. what if instead of the hand of God that comes down, it's Muncher? Oh my god! <laughs> I just screamed. That is so oh. fucking funny. Okay. Uh, uh. Speaking of the hand of God, I am going to lower my hand down and change this section into final thoughts. Hold on. I got two King's Dominions that oh, I think I found. Oh, okay. We're going to go. Oh. Sorry, oh sorry. My God. <laughs> no, no. Wait, no, you seriously. found some or I did you just so. think of it? No, okay. no, no. I think I've actually got two. Are they Muncher related? 
They're yeah, not muncher related. Yeah, I mean, okay. I can make them muncher, but um. <laughs> no, no, so, no. Let's let's keep it legit here. Well, okay, deliver, deliver the king's dominion in the voice that you think muncher. No, no, ha- no, no, don't no, do no, no, no. Just give us the king's dominion. I mean, please. muncher is my voice. So. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. So here's what. So they pass a billboard when it says um, the lambs laughter or the children of God, and there's an S that says slaughter and turns the word laughter into slaughter, and that reminded me of Crouch End when there is a moment where they're talking about crouch in town and they add an e into the word to make it say crouch in Tawin, which is like a place of sacrifice oh. so, Ooh, nice. i like that okay. i'm in deep cut deep i cut. mean it's a stretch but yeah no i think um, it's good no i like crouch in too so i do too yeah. okay and here's the other one and it is a big spoiler so i'm going to be very careful about how i talk about it but okay. there is another death where a character dies by being impaled on a tree and that's all I'm going to say about it because it's really sad. But yes. do you guys know what I'm talking mm. about? I have a faint recollection. We can discuss after. Yeah. Wait. Oh, wait. Yeah. You you were going to you were going to spell it out, but <laughs> I right. got it. It is Dark Tower related. Yeah. Sorry. Let's move on <laughs> to our final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Welcome to Final Thoughts, where we share our final thoughts. Uh, let's give a clown nose ranking and our MVP of this episode. Uh, Michael Rothman, please share your bright red Pennywise clown nose rating and your MVP. Well, I mean, look, you get a lot of movement in this episode, I think, uh, which makes sense given the fucking title, The Walk. But, uh, you know, this is this is a I think it's a very cohesive episode. You know, Harold gets an emotional uh, send off that really does feel true to the character. It's filled with hate, pain, tragedy. Love it. Um, feels like a really earned final lap for Owen Teague. Uh, and, and actually still kind of hope he, he pops up. Look, this is a series of flashbacks, so we can bring <laughs> back Teague. We can bring back Teague. Teague. Uh, and then on the flip side, that kind of works as a nice parallel is, you know, Nadine. Mm-hmm. where she ends up and it's it's also a very tragic and beautiful for a variety of reasons but you know this is kind of the second act of a war parable that we're seeing here and where we're actually seeing the consequences of those villains and those actions and um and and where they're going to lead them and how they're going to have to live with those consequences and um and also what those consequences lead to and those the collateral damage of it at all and it's right there in that walk um so I think it's succinct. I think it's distinctive. I think it's oddly emotional. I, I found myself not crying. I haven't cried once in this up in this in the series, but it definitely got it, it stirred up some <laughs> some emotions in me, which has, says a lot. So this gets the big old four Pennywise clown noses for me, and my MVP is Marsden. So I, I'm, I'm giving it to him. I think this is his time to shine, and I don't mean uh, the Overlook variety. <laughs> so. Mac, your bright red Pennywise clown nose rating and your MVP. I felt like this was a very by the numbers episode and, and, and in a, in a way that followed the book for the most part. So, and there wasn't a whole lot where I was just like, what are they, what, you know, they they did this wrong. If anything, like Randall was saying, it was a little too by the numbers, but you know, they've been trying to not do that every episode. So it's okay to do it once in a while. I'm going to give this, uh, three, bright red Pennywise clown noses because it's still not great. I mean, you know, there's like little things here and there that I thought were enjoyable, but, and I did really like the walk thing, but, uh, 
And your MVP? I don't know. My MVP... Can't say Muncher. Muncher. Damn it. All right. If it's not Muncher, <laughs> then uh, Muncher. you know what? I'm going to give it to Kojak. Yes. Because oh, he, got, he had to stretch his acting uh, bones in this episode. <laughs> and uh, I knew you were going to give you know, it to the goddamn anytime, dog. Anytime a dog can fake me out and, and make me think he's Cooge, uh, <laughs> he gets uh, all the stars and all the Pennywise clown noses. I'm going to give Kojak five Pennywise clown noses. The dog? The You're here. giving it yeah. to the dog? <laughs> Uh, Jen, your bright red Pennywise clown nose ranking and your uh, MVP. So, I, Mike, I agree with you. There's a lot that I really liked about this episode, and I found myself really wishing that the entire series had been paced like this episode. Yeah. Um, and so there was a little kind of what might have been there. Um, the Harold stuff, I absolutely loved. I did cry when I was watching it both times, and I, I just loved that story, and I think they did a good job of closing his story out. Um, the Nadine stuff bugged the shit out of me. So that took away from some of my ranking. <clears throat> but I loved the walk. There's so much snow in this episode. It was really pretty. So I think three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses I'm going to give it. And my MVP, I really wanted to say um, Alexander Skarsgård's butt as my <laughs> MVP. <laughs> but I'm going to go gotta with. Find out if, we got to find out if this was a stand-in. I know. Him, you know what I mean? I I, we got to know. find <laughs> out because this that, is going to change everything. True, exactly. I would revoke my MVP status if that's the case. But I gotta re- actually give it to Owen Teague because he's. Just, I think he has been my MVP yeah. every episode. I think that I've he. Been on. I think he's at least made it to one of these choices every episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, he'll still be the MVP the next two episodes. <laughs> True. Yeah. Remember when Harold did this? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this episode. I found myself invigorated by it at the end in ways that I hadn't been at the end of some of the other episodes. I really I really enjoyed sort of like I mean I, I think that I almost struggled with how how much it was adhering to the book, but then I kind of I don't know, the Nadine stuff I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Jen, but I also am just kind of like, I don't know, I kind of enjoyed bad Nadine and I'm just so excited by the just the very concept of <laughs> of boulder people meeting a former boulder person in um vegas i i'm i, I just want to see that exchange between nadine and larry and the rest of them i i hope i'm not disappointed because i'm going to put a lot on it but it's like very excited for what that promises and so and then obviously yeah. i think the harold stuff was handled beautifully and i love that monologue that he gives and i'm glad that they found a way to work that in and and i love what you were saying about I allowed myself to be misled is a very is a very interesting line, and it points to the the show has been very conscious about choice um, as it pertains to these characters, and and I really appreciate that. So yeah, overall though, um, I did really like it. Hated the Mother Abigail stuff, and you know struggled with a few other aspects. But I'm gonna give us uh, three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses, and my MVP. I'm going to say Vincenzo Natale, the director, because I thought this this episode was really, really well directed. uh, And the gore and the horror, I think, was effective in this episode um, in ways that uh, better elevated from previous episodes. So, yeah, I'm going to give him uh, my MVP trophy, uh, which I do. I mail a trophy to the actors after every episode uh, that I've given Mm -hmm. an MVP to. I mail them in snail mail. Yeah, I do it myself. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that at all. That's that's really kind of (laughs) it. I have individual trophies made. And I say I gave you a trophy on the podcast. So here you go. Um, <laughs> this has been fun, y'all. Uh, we're going to be back next week with 
uh, episode eight. Cannot the wait stand, for it. The yeah. Stand. yeah, it's called The Stand. And I believe it's also directed by Vincenzo Natale, which I'm excited about. Yeah, so yeah, very good. excited for that. And we've also got um, our next book episodes coming up, Desperation and the Regulators, which we're going to be doing um, across several weeks. We're going to be doing them in tandem so we can talk about the connections between them. Lots of fun stuff. Uh, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, uh, you should find us over at patreon.com slash thebarons. We've got a lot of fun stuff going. Uh, lots of uh, bonus episodes, commentary tracks, and uh, we've got a great Discord going where we talk about uh, the episodes of the stand, of the podcast, of the books, everything. People are sharing their own little cujos, and it's a lot of fun. So you should join us there. And um, yeah, I think let's sign off with a long days and, and, and pleasant, pleasant, pleasant muncher. muncher. <laughs> <laughs> I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. Consequence Podcast Network.